It's regret this week on Nothing Good. Ladies and gentlemen, today's a wonderful episode. We, we have something going on that's really exciting. Uh, but before we get into our favorite wrestling matches of all time, uh, which will be arguable, uh, last episode, I asked about Skinamarink. About, and you guys said you'd never heard of this. Correct. And I said, man, we've got to watch the trailer. So uh, after the episode was over, we sat down and we watched uh, the trailer. What did you guys think of Skinamarink? I'm disappointed after seeing the trailer that Lamb Chop isn't somewhere in the fucking house. That you know of. She's still caught on that. She's in there somewhere. Is it a she? Is Lamb Chop a she? I have no <sighs> clue. I mean, I mean Sharon, um, I think. Wait, no, Lamb Chop is something different, isn't it? Yeah, it's a it? very no. different show. Sharon Lois and Bran had the elephant. That's the elephant show. Oh, yeah. man, You're I talking about Lamb Chop's I'm, play I'm getting, I'm getting stuff like... All like, kinds of childhood all just, stuff. All, all childhood stuff just kind of... Like mixed and matched together. But it's together. creepy though. I mean, the trailer's creepy. It's creepy because it doesn't really tell you anything about it. But it's just like this weird ambiance. It's, it's a like, vibe. It's like real grainy, like Blair Witch style grainy. Yes. And there's just like kids' rooms and toys, and then weird creepy kids whispering. just sitting there in the dark. And it it has 16 millimeter film school vibe kind of written all over it. With Quentin Tarantino slash Robert Rodriguez audio. That is a weird combination, but okay. Right? It fits. Well, because if you think about like the the Planet Terror, Death Proof, right? Um, when they did the trailers in between the two movies, like that's that's the kind of audio that they're kind of going with. It was like that 1970s, just one singular movie trailer voice that's not epic in any way. It's just like, you know... Um, kind of like voice where you have to like knock on your neighbor's doors and say hey my name is charles and i just moved into the neighborhood and i'm legally obligated to tell you that and then you just walk to the next house kind of vibe okay yeah like if you saw that he had a white van in his front yard that might have been an ice cream truck you wouldn't think it'd be out of place okay kind of vibe we'll go i can go with that um so the the actual description of the film is (laughs) Two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing, and all the windows and doors in their house are gone. Yeah. Gone. 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 Vanished. And there like, are some Like, voices. not open. They're gone. Like, gone. 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 What's outside? There Nothing no, good. There is no outside. Well, see, that's that's a thing, right? Because, like, if, if the windows and doors are gone, and it's just, like, casings, right? But you still see, like, outside. Nothing. There's, there's but no, there's nothing no windows, there. no doors. Fuck. Oh, gone. wait, wait. No, they're gone. They're gone. Oh, Dave. see, I'm thinking Vanished. that... I mean, this shit literally. Disappear. No, I'm thinking, as you guys say they're gone, I'm like... Oh, <laughs> just some, <laughs> Like a fucking contractor came in the middle of the night and just, just removed them. The just took them out. That's a different type of scary That's movie. That's a whole different... <laughs> my movie is not as good as your movie there, sir. Oh, no. Yeah, no, they're gone. They're trapped. Yeah. And uh, I know, I, I, I kind of generally know what the, the more of a plot synopsis in it. It sounds very unsettling, and I like to watch it, but I, again, I don't have Shudder. At some point, yeah. I'm going to It's out it. already. 
it's like your worst it's like the worst of your like childhood exactly. nightmares like all you the only thing that like could possibly tie into that is like you trying to scream and you can't and you can't or you're trying to run and you can't like those are always the two things Did you guys ever have those in nightmares when you're kids like mm, my nightmares were never quite like that i could never run my in night- my nightmares like it's my like... legs would get like like would would almost be like concrete and I got to the point where I'd be running and then I'd be running slower and slower and slower to the point that I couldn't move anymore. And like I'd be trying to like physically pull my leg one step further and then like whatever's pursuing me was like gaining on me, right? Yeah, I can't say I've had that experience, but that's also why I don't run on a treadmill at the gym. Because why run if you're not going anywhere, right? It's true. It's a good point. I mean, that's also a metaphor for life. My, my dreams... Deep. Most of and Mac, you you know me long enough. No, I've I've told you about some of my dreams over the years that I've had. That my dreams are almost always way too narrative driven. <laughs> it's just the way my brain works for whatever reason. So my nightmares are also narrative driven. But now that you're bringing up dreams, I wanted I, I mentioned this to my wife. This happened weeks ago, and it just stayed with me. I had this dream, and I wanted to message everybody about it, but it was so weird and silly. And I'm like, That's, I'm, I sound like a fucking idiot if I do this. But we're here, we're recording, so fuck it. <laughs> yeah, the might as the well. World will Let's know. hear it. Let's but hear it, it was a cool dream, though. So at this point, it probably, at this point, is last month, way last month. I had a dream. This is no fucking exaggeration. Like, I, it's one of those situations where, like, you don't know how you got there. You just, you're, you just, I remember I was there, and I was in a sewer, okay? Like a sewer sewer, right? And there was a TV. It was like a black and white TV, flickering black and white TV, and on this little TV, there was this woman. It was over. She was a fucking reporter. You see where I'm going with this shit? Okay. And she's like talking about the, 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 the evil has returned to the city. What are we going to do? Okay. And I'm sitting there. There's, there's like chairs and there's couches. And I'm in this fucking sewer with this fucking TV. And I'm like, I know what I got to do. And there are four vats. Just like look like uh, maybe 75 gallon drums. Just sitting on the floor of the sewer, okay? So I walk over. Right next to the TV right in the sewer. In Was the there an empty sewer. pizza box by chance? Motherfucker, let me get there. Okay? So in my dream... Don't you ruin his dream. I pry open the first lid with a fucking crowbar. And it's just like this fucking soupy mess. And I press a button on the side of like the, 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 the bin. And like you're like... A zzzz, and like out comes... A half-flesh, half-robot Ninja Turtle out of the fucking vat. And that's where it's hibernating. And it's fucking Leonardo. Oh, shit. I turn them on. And I'm like, they're back, Leo. Wait, 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 wait. I st- <laughs> you, 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 you got Leo out of the vat and you, you turned him on? You heard me. So, I go to the next one. Same thing. Yeah. Out comes Donatello. Was Leo in the corner watching you while you are doing this with the rest of the Oh, you know He's he was. going to be okay. <laughs> And I go to the next get one. Get him some food. And it's Raphael. And he I get to the fourth food. one and the last one. God damn it. Listen. And it's Michelangelo. But he's the only one who's not half robotic. Because he's now the leader. And he's the only one who... He's the fucking... And in my dream, he's the fucking leader of the Ninja Turtles. Not Leo. Because he's the only one who's fully still a turtle. The battles they've been through. He's the only one who didn't get almost blown to smithereens. Like the Ronin. Fuck. Exactly. He's the, he's the last living turtle. Yeah. Now, pretty sure that's where my brain got that from. It's the only place I could have got that from. <laughs> and in my, I'm just like, 
And, but it was so it was all dark. It was all like this wet, like very sewer like environment. And they're not talking. They're not saying a fucking word. They're just stoically standing there, ready to fucking go to war. And I woke up. It was a hell of a dream. Dang. Like that's kind of the dream like you wake up, you want to go back to. I did. You're like, can I, I want to know what happened? Can next? I go back to sleep and like pick up where I left off? No. And you fall back asleep and you have some super fucked up dream. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, this I, is not what I went back for. No, no. No, he goes back to the lair and April's just getting fucking like on a tr- like that's a train getting run on her of like three okay. robotic oh, three. Leonardo's yeah, there's, over there. Yeah, Leonardo's Being watching like is. like just fucking smoking fuck. like a fucking cigar going, mm, yeah. Yeah, April. So that was my Ninja Turtle yeah. uh, dream you're, I had you're recently. You're reporter hot, April. Yeah. Hometown hot. Hometown, Hometown hot. Hometown reporter hot. I, <laughs> April O'Neil. I get... Well, she is. I, I get shit all the time from uh, Jeff and uh, Mike Viola when I, like, talk about dreams that I have because they're like, your dreams are all full of shit because they're far too detailed That's for, no, for this to be real. Dreams and like, I'll, are like I'll tell them, I'll tell them, like, dreams that I have... I kind of slowed down a little bit because they give me so much shit for it. I'm like, you guys. He got bullied. I got bullied. <laughs> and not telling about his dreams anymore. Um, yeah, I was I was definitely bullied a little bit there. I'm like, no, man, that's like really how descriptive it is. That's because they're jealous, Dave. Uh, it, it's, it's like too much detail. Like you're talking about the ooze that they come out of. Fuck, it was wild, man. He, Dave would be like, it was this shade of green. And, it, and this is exactly what it smelled like. I was like, that's too detailed. That's made up. Like, you're making it up as you're saying it. No. It is not real. It's a weird thing to, like, like flex on, right? <laughs> Amongst your friends. <laughs> My amazing dreams. Let me go, let me go ahead and then, and then Sean Connery showed up. And he smelled like a whiskey musk to him. And, <laughs> like, you know, like, what a kind of a weird flex yeah. is that to have with your friends? Like, let me tell you about, like, how, let me make up this fake dream. Yeah. So, I, I don't remember half my dreams, so maybe deep down I am jealous no, of how I remember detailed my your dreams, dreams are. I, I, you I have, remember A lot of them are, are relatively, like, just, you know, uneventful. But, like, every once in a while, like, I'll, like you know, a couple weeks ago I went and saw Ant-Man and the Wasp when it, when it came out. And, um, like, then that Sunday we watched The Last of Us, where a lot of shit went down. So, um, I had a dream... That kind of combined Ant-Man and The Last of Us. <laughs> I bet that was weird. It was weird. Um, it was, we were downtown. And like, uh, this is what's, uh, I will say this about my dreams. I usually They're usually fun because I'm usually the leader of the zombie resistance, you know, or, or in some capacity nice. of that. But like, we had to build our stronghold at Duquesne University. because of all it's, places. Well, because you're going to appreciate high ground. this. The high ground. <laughs> Smart. Because it's up on a hill, right? And. Um, I had to like come down from where like Mountain Arena was still there and I had to like come down like through Mountain Arena and come down and like avoid all the all the infected and stuff like that. But it wasn't just infected. It was all the weird fucking things too from like the quantum realm. So like there's a few like zombies. There are a few things with mushrooms going out of their head and there's something who'd like wanted seven holes. Right. Well, if you look at I could see how you draw the comparison. There's the guy from quantum realm who looks like broccoli. Right. And then if you look at the way the clickers are, hmm? yeah, they're very similar. They're yeah, very they're... fungal in uh, shape and form. <clears throat> yeah. So, but uh, like that was a fun dream, you know? When I have those kind of dreams, bad things don't usually happen. But I always like when I go see a Marvel movie in theater because like I'll probably have a Marvel dream that weekend. 
and you know it's always good we should have have an episode where we just talk about the fucked up dreams we've had just bonus content (laughs) because i can tell you some shit i have dreamt (laughs) that it's have stayed with me yeah for like i always remember the fucked up things not like happy-go-lucky things i had a recurring dream as a kid where I'd be, like, right before Kennywood Day. Kennywood, for anybody who might not be in the Pittsburgh area, is an amusement park in outside of Pittsburgh. Um, where I'd be on one of the roller coasters, and, like, we would go down a hill and go up a hill. But when we went up the hill, the train just went off. <laughs> oh, shit. The track. <laughs> and, the, and the whole train would just be floating and, like, flying in the air. Never, like, came down. We just kept going up. And like that's when I'd wake up. That sounds scary. Yeah, and then I would just go fucking ride roller coasters. His bed's wet every time he wakes up. Like (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know what happened. Jeff, that's that's a different dream. So Mm. that sounds like a scary dream. But you know what's not scary, Dave? This subject, this topic. I might respectfully disagree with you just when we talk about the sheer number of ladder matches that are going to be coming up here. How scary some of that might be, (laughs) folks. We decided uh, a few weeks ago when we were you know, plotting out what we wanted to do, we were going to talk about our favorite wrestling matches. And and I kind of pushed for it a little bit because I'm like, well, at least this way we can pick two a piece, have yeah. some time, we can talk about it. Somewhat controlled. I, you know, even though it was like I really pushed for it, I didn't realize really truly how difficult it would be to hammer down just mm-hmm. two. Oh, my God. So what I did, and I, sh- you know what, it's shame on me. I should have messaged you guys about this when I made this decision for myself. I was like, okay. I've watched countless wrestling matches in my life. I, who knows how many. I've watched a, how many amazing five-star matches. And some really bad ones, of course. But for me to sit down and go, okay, well, these are the two, the best I've ever seen. These are my two favorite, rather. Not the best, but my favorites. Is damn near impossible. So what I did, I made the conscious decision to go, okay, I'm going to pick one that I'm saying it's one of my favorites, because it is, but on the merit <clears throat> of just the in-ring action alone just the, just what that match was and the other one because it's so hard to choose obviously the match has to be good but it's everything else around it, the story the build-up the lead-in the angle the burn is it a slow burn and that really helped me narrow down which is why i chose what i chose um so we're gonna go in alphabetical order so, Mac, Dave, you go first with your first, whichever one you want to talk about first. Well, real quick, even too for the listeners, just we, we did put a couple, um, I, I think they were unspoken, um, like a, like one or two like little restrictions on what we were picking here. Because I think one of the ones we're not going to talk about today because we've had the conversation of this being its own episode of the podcast. Um, you're not going to hear Stone Cold Steve Austin, Bret Hart. Facts. Um, I think... Either I think any one of us would have probably put that on our list um, easily. I think it's often referred to as one of the, maybe the greatest match of all time, um, arguably, in a lot of lot of circles and things like that. So we we did kind of decide that we're not going to talk about that one. Um, so um, I think that's really the only restriction we had, but yeah. it's kind of yeah. interesting too. Um, just looking at this on a, on a, on a higher level, um, we, we picked, there really aren't any repeat performers in the lists we kind of put together. There's, yes, there's there is. A, not a lot of repeat performers. No, no, there is a lot. Oh, well, there's one very common repeat. There is, there is, there is one guy who's in <laughs> yeah. almost every match. That's that, well, that's true. <laughs> Um, but you know, there, there, we have a pretty nice, um, I think 
selection it's of wrestlers. A health, it's a healthy mix. It's a healthy mix, yeah. right? Easily, yeah. Um, you know, these matches, not surprisingly, uh, also took place at some of the grandest stages of them all in the rex in the wrestling lexicon. Um, but without further ado, here, <clears throat> um, I've often said this to you guys. My probably my favorite match that I've ever watched. And it's something that has stuck with me for a really, really long time. I really think it's the match that brought me back to wrestling. Um, is going to be uh, SummerSlam 1998. Intercontinental title. Shocker. Although not at this point, but shocker to you guys. It's a ladder match. <laughs> Between a, a couple of young up-and-comers in the industry... Uh, a couple of young bucks, as they will. You may have heard of both of them. <clears throat> you probably have heard of one or two of them. Um, a uh, gentleman by the name of uh, Rocky Maivia, otherwise known as The Rock. You smell what I'm cooking. And then, um, you know, a a, uh, a gentleman of distinguishment uh, who also likes to, quote-unquote, suck it in uh, three very distinct letters in his name, and that would be Triple H. Uh, and this is uh, Ladder Match, Intercontinental Title, 1998 SummerSlam, Rock versus Triple H. So let me just get this right out of the way, Mac. <clears throat> Why? Um, There was something about this match that I've... I mean, So I watched it on pay-per-view live as it happened. Uh, buddies of mine and I in high school had all kind of realized that we liked wrestling but didn't really have, like, the ability to watch pay-per-views, right? So a group of us would kind of get together, and we kind of, I'm not going to say it was a club or anything, but, you know, with, uh, I'm going to throw some names out there. Now, some of them actually listen to the podcast, which is kind of interesting. Shout out to whoever the hell you are. Uh, so uh, Thank you for listening. Yeah, please. Uh, one you know, Brandon Hanna. Be Hanna. Be Hanna. Be Hanna listens? I don't know if he does or if he doesn't, but I'm playing saying he's... <laughs> you just said he does. No, I'm yeah. saying some of them listen to the podcast. Okay. I'm going to do it again. Um, but Hannah. I was, never hear it. I was caught on the... Uh, I, I called him HBK going through middle school and into high school. B. Hannah and I used to work together back in the day. You did. For many years. He was a good man. Yeah. I miss him. He's a good dude. But, oh, he's uh, dead. No, I mean, he's a good guy. He is no, he's alive, alive and well and, and being yes. very and very yes. successful from what yes. I understand. Good for him. Um, but like myself, Brandon Hanna, Adam Jordan, Doug McMahon, Jared Nussbaum, Mark McGregor, uh, and probably a few others, Lee Thompson, probably a few others that I'm Dave Wilclair, I'm kind of maybe leaving out. But we would kind of pull some money together and go over to somebody's house and we would give the parents the money and rent the pay-per-view. So we were over, I believe this was, uh, we were over at Doug's house and we rented this pay-per-view and, <clears throat> you know, the thing that I loved about this match, and of course he didn't really know about it then, but it was really a, a coming out party for two, um, now pillars of wrestling history, but this was an opportunity and this was a great feud that had been going up between, you know, the nation and, and DX and then rock and, and triple h and you had these two guys you know the intercontinental title at that time <clears throat> was the proving ground for your mid card you know probably more yeah. than anything else at that point they're really using it to push the mid card and wwe didn't really have a ton of of big names at this point <clears throat> you know the the main event of this match was um Ra was uh austin and undertaker yeah so 
Um, but it gave these guys an opportunity to really <clears throat> showcase themselves. Um, there's great uh, storytelling in this match. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, I think uh, high ring IQ in how they were able to tell the story. Um, the fans are hot for it. Dude, MSG, listen. <clears throat> they are Madison, hot for DX. Madison yeah. Square Garden is always such an awesome wrestling crowd. And they're going to pop up again on, on this episode. Yep. Uh, you know, and it's interesting to me, and I I want to just interject. If you go back and you really just watch this. So I, you know, big 1998, such a good year uh, for the WWF, for wrestling in general. But if you, if you go back to that year and you look at where Triple H was, where Rocky, where The Rock was... They're, one of the best parts about a wrestling feud, a really well done wrestling feud, is like, are the two combatants, are the two uh, participants different from each yeah. other? Man, you couldn't almost get any more different no. than The Rock and Triple H. Yep. Triple H comes out, and, and for the record, uh, the DX theme never sounds good live. I don't know why they always tried it so many times. It just <laughs> never did. I don't give a fuck what anybody no, says. That's true. But man, could, could anybody pick anybody else with more fucking swagger than the rock in 98 Drip, he was I just mean, dripping with swagger. he still got it that motherfucker full-on heel i mean in his heelness like this is like his the height of his mid-card heel level yeah and he comes out the gate with mark henry full swag this man has only been working in the wwf for like two, two years. years that's it and two he years. is in two years he is now uh the number two champion in the right. company Facing against would probably be considered maybe the number two babyface in the company, because I'm pretty confident Triple H was the number two babyface. I don't know if, who else was be up, up below Austin at the time, right? Yeah. No, probably not at that point. And not only that, in a ladder match in the most famous arena in the world in two years, in two years, it's a big it, deal. The chip on the shoulder was real. Oh yeah, and it was so good. He comes out and he gets on. He puts the belt in his mouth and climbs a ladder. And I'm just like, this dude, like, everybody and their mother knew. I remember back in 98, I was a big, I was a big fan of rock through every stage of his career. You know, I was, I did not chant, die, Rocky, die. I thought the rock was the man. I knew, I knew he was going to be something big. And by 98, I'm like, the rocket ship was about to be strapped to him. Because in like, what, three months, he's heavyweight champion. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah, and this may have been the catalyst to take the belt off him here. Yes. Give him the real one. Yeah, um, MSG um, is a character in this match. Yes. Absolutely. Um, the fans, you know, one of the things to keep in mind here too, everybody, if you, you do have like, you know, Peacock and you get a chance to like watch the WWE Network and you want to go back and watch some of these matches here with us, um, pay attention as much to the crowd around what's happening as you are with what's going on in the ring because wrestling fans today... They are not like that. No. Nope. The the investment, I don't think, is there. Um, wrestling was very personal in 1998. Between, you know, the WWF fans and the WCW fans and the... the, the I almost think they're almost overcompensating in some ways for their, their product and their brand. And, you know, I think in some cases when you had some elements that start, were starting to take off now, right? Because I think this point, WWF is, is you know, Attitude Era, 
We've got Stone Cold is is just through the roof. But again, it's it's only a few people that are at the top of that pedestal because so many of the of the of the main event guys are in WCW. You know, it's very much a you know we have an opening. Fucking here's your opportunity. Come up and take it. And that's what this match was to me. Right. Just watching these two guys just go at it and um, twenty five minute and fifty eight second match. It's a lot of time to tell a story. Which is a long time to tell a story. And the second longest match of the night, only really 20 seconds shorter than Austin Mm. and Undertaker. So kind of put that in perspective that, you know, in in a card where the matches were maybe 10, 12 minutes in most cases, there were two on this card that got whatever time they needed, and that was this. So, and talking a little bit about rock, right? Key rock, heat, heel, you could just you just tell what this guy has. Yeah, undeniable for both of them, really in this match, oh, undeniable. Yeah. Um, right at the beginning of the match, right before the bell rings, Rock and Triple H are standing face to face. Oh, they're and motherfucking, each, motherfucking <laughs> each other. Fuck you to Triple H, and we're off. Yeah, right. Yeah, and you know, it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel fake. Like, you immediately get right from yeah, that. Yeah, you can feel the heat. You can feel the heat yeah. just from that moment. And you just know, fuck, strap yourselves in, man. Like, we're ready to roll. Yeah, and I, when we shared our list of matches, I was surprised to see Triple H on the list. Uh, and it's not that Triple H is a bad wrestler. I mean, he's great. And and in this particular point of time, he was babyface. DX was super fucking over. Mm-hmm. So, so over. uh and they were really leaning hard into the rock being the heel at that time. It's just in that era, I don't think triple H really did it for me as a wrestling fan. Although I, I respect the shit out of this match and because they're very different. Yeah. The rock and triple H, uh, but they're also very similar in a lot of ways. Hung young, hungry, both close to the same age. Um, yeah. Rock was 26 in this match. Triple H was 29. So, yeah. Interestingly, okay, so there was there's a lot to okay. There's the storyline, right? Because I remember I, Pepperidge Farm remembers. I remember uh, <laughs> the lead up to this match because again, you know, big fan of Rock, fan of Triple H, and I'll get to my thoughts on Triple H eventually. But uh, it was the they had I remember they had a street fight on Raw between DX and the Nation of Domination. I remember it was a bad beatdown. Uh, I remember the nation laid out DX. I remember uh, Rock had almost sexually assaulted China or, or live on Raw, because he because uh, uh, the DX were like locked in the locker room and China was by herself. And Rock and the nation they had her like on her knees. And I remember the Rock was like, oh, "Put her, put her on her knees where she belongs," you know, and like, and he's like, "I'm gonna give you a kiss and all that stuff." And he goes. Attitude Era was a different time, my friend. Do you not remember Jesus that? Christ. I remember that. Dude, I think the heat that Rock was trying yeah. to generate was no joke. Yeah. Jones, I'm pretty confident that I blocked that out of my conscious yeah. memory. No, he's, and now he I'm sexually harassed so Lillian Garcia I, every single week. Well, you had, I, I think, remember that. I think D'Lo had China on one side. Mark had uh, China on the other side. Had her by the hair. And Rock standing on the ladder looking down at her. And he's like, you know, I'm going to give you what you want. That's a kiss from the great one. All that stuff. And he gets real close. And he goes... The Rock would never kiss a piece of trash like you, and it was so personal. Jesus, but that's like, it's so personal. It yeah. ha- a good feud has to be personal, 
And that made the when China gives him the low blow at the end, it made His it vindication. all worth it. Yeah. Because he crossed a line that he shouldn't have crossed. And he learned. He only learned today. He learned to not cross China. Rest in peace. Um, it, to, to, to Triple H, in my thoughts on him, to what you said, Jeff, I was never a huge Triple H fan through any of his incarnations until 99, when he pushed the X away, after the whole he joined the corporation, but Fully that was, always, that was fucking weird. It didn't make any damn sense. But when he is like, you know, there are people who study the game. There are people who who, who, who live it and they breathe it. I'm the game. Yeah. This is my yeah. time. That my time business. Yeah. Dude, I vibe Yeah, the, well, the game Motorhead version of Triple H is my favorite Triple H. Well, I mean, because Hands it's the first time that he stepped out of the shadows that he had been brought up in all those years. I mean, he was always... You know, when he was, you know, Hunter Hearst Helmsley and he was the, you know, aristocrat and, you know, then he clearly is Sean's number two. And, you know, we're we're putting you with Sean because we want you to learn off Sean and you know, we also want you to build momentum off of Sean. And then, of course, Sean walks, you know, Michaels can't wrestle anymore. He's out. smile. And then um, Triple H becomes the de facto DX. And then, you know, you see X-Pac come in and you got New Age and China. And yeah. then, of course, he's the leader of the faction. But again, none of that's really even still his. This is all stuff that was kind of before. But, of course, like once we get to the game, you know there's elements of truth that he's uttering when he says that. I still remember. It's still one. There are a few people. Look, Triple H is not. It's weird. It's going to sound weird. It's not that he's a bad. He's not a bad promo. He's a great no. promo. Right. But he doesn't have to, like, have catchphrases necessarily to get his point across. Right. He's right. good at it. But I burned in my teenage memory is that sit down with JR when he said I'm the fucking game and I just was like what the f- this guy yeah. who is this guy yeah. and he became more aggressive you're like you're not just you're not the game just because you say it and then he's, then he backed it up and you're like yeah. alright yeah I'm gonna take okay, you I'll serious now when they yeah. put him in the because he was in the main event for the heavyweight title was him Austin and Mankind at the next year SummerSlam yeah was and that was his first real shot at the heavyweight title and that was a big deal and I didn't believe it because I was not a believer that he's not a main event yeah. guy. Well, I was fucking wrong. He was the listen. There are a few people in wrestling in the WWF who has been more important to the last twenty years. Not Cena, not Austin, not Rock Hunter. He's been there the entire time. That's mainly because he can't act. Let's be fair. If he could act, <laughs> I mean, he did. He did have a nice little role in Blade, uh, Blade Trinity. Yeah, and it was that stupid movie. Yeah. Uh, the the what was it? The, the babysitter, the yeah. the, the, the bus driver, whatever something he was. like that. Yeah, WWE Studios. My point is that he he is and now be running the company. You know, he is the most important man in wrestling. Yeah, and if you look at the impact, you know, his post his in ring career, uh-huh. the impact he's had from a creative and a talent development standpoint. I mean. It's without question that that he's left a lasting legacy over there. Yeah, his DNA is all over all over WWE right now. It's it's all over Stephanie. There's a joke in there um, somewhere. Yeah, it's, it, it is it, all over. It's, it's coming. It? It's coming. Is it coming? Kayo. Um. <laughs> oh. um. But I think there's there's always. I mean, you anybody who pays attention to wrestling knows that when a wrestler is authentic, is when you really believe him or her right and we've seen times where the authenticity just takes over it's like this point of self-actualization in a wrestler's psyche when they're 
just so over the bullshit and they're so over everything and then they just kind of like themselves just comes out as a part of their character as well you saw that with stone cold you saw that with you know, more modern becky lynch um and you know with with the rock just always had it like that was just well not i won't say always but it came real quick for him yeah um but the talent was there for triple h and i think this match put him into now there's a conversation now we've got another guy that we can kind of like not now but he's gonna yeah. go ahead and take yeah, over chips in that corner he's gonna start taking over the bet. mid yeah he'll he'll take care of the mid card right now as we get some other guys up and uh you know which also gives the opportunity to let rock speaking of which yep so you know it's fascinating and and i watch i saw the show live and being a, a rock fan and everybody like oh rock rocky sucks i'm like nah man he's the he's the fucking man he's the be- he's the, the greatest intercontinental champion of all time and to watch this man come out booed new york's like f this guy oh he gives zero fucks about the crap. but then <laughs> well also they- too with with msg like there's no stage it's just a door and it's a short runway yeah. And that runway and it's is narrow too. It's no it's bigger than narrow. this fucking table, right? Yeah. Maybe a little bit bigger than the table we're sitting at right now, everybody. And that's like arm's length wide. So the people, they're right on top of you. And as soon as you, you know, get involved, I mean, they're they're cursing at him, you know. Yeah. They're... There's a couple spots in that in this match where they end up back down there because that's where the ladder was. Yeah. And they're just going at it, and like the crowd is just they're 100 percent in the fucking match yeah uh and it, it was great it's good so the it's interesting and and we mentioned I, you and i've talked about this before i know yeah. that watching that match play out and watching him come out he's full-on heel the beauty of the rocks character is that he doesn't have to change what he does to be a heel or a babyface. right just little tiny things but as the match progresses you start hearing that that polarizing chant of Rocky sucks, but then you'd hear like Rocky, Rocky yeah. sucks. Rocky. Yep. And it starts. It's a, because New York fans they like a good wrestler. They, they do. They just like an entertaining yep. person. They're, and as the match continues on, the Rocky chants get a little louder, but the Rocky sucks chants are still there until he slams him on the ladder and he looks up and the crowd goes, "Oh, it's fucking time!" Oh yeah. And the people's elbow and they pop yeah. so hard yep. because it doesn't matter if he's the heel. They love the people's elbow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of one of the notes I made was one of my my favorite spot in this match was when he does the people's elbow after he lays Triple H out on the ladder. And I mean, I love The Rock. I always have. The people's elbow is like the most ineffective oh, yeah. showboat move ever. But the crowd just fucking blows up every time. Every single. It's just a cool move. And, it, and it's on the ladder, and I was like, it's fucking selling it so hard. See, it's so good. Well, and the thing I think that lends to that, too, and I made a note of this, is that the people's elbow is what? It's an elbow drop to the chest. Mm-hmm. It's right? a weak-ass move. Mm-hmm. But according to JR, it's an elbow to his heart. Right into the heart. <laughs> right into the heart. Right into the heart. And I, I said too in this, I made a note at the end that my flowers to JR and King's call in that match because, you know, it adds to the mythology of I miss you JR. Know, God damn it. You know, it's 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 never he got a hit to the head. He's like, he bashed him in his skull. You know, the 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 vocabulary that he uses to tell the match just adds so much more to it. Um 
but yeah, that's what's so great about that spot when he's got the ladder right in the middle and then he just kind of puts the, the, the body slam on him and his, you're not even thinking about it, but it's all of a sudden there. And um, that's what's great about that move is that it it has a instantaneous recognition. You know, some one of the things I, I, I don't like about wrestling today is when wrestlers are about to do their finishing move, they have to do the fucking they wind telegraph up. They it. do the wind up. You know, um, Roman Reigns has got to go ahead and, you know, get into the corner Cock and, up, and punch the punch ground, the ground yeah. and... You know, do whoa, and then do the spear and everything, and and you know when Shawn Michaels late in his career was doing the leg, well, he did the leg stomp too a lot of times, but I don't like that. I like when it just it's organic. It's like the RKO yeah. comes out of anywhere, out of nowhere. That's that's why I think that's one of the best finishing moves ever. Same thing with the stunner. It just you can do it at any point in time, and you can really do the people's elbow at any point in time because you're you're just not expecting it, and then just all of a sudden it's there. Yeah. Um. But, uh, but that was great. I like, too, in this match that, you know, because I think in any great match, especially when you have one that's long, is, you know, you have to have an element of storytelling and ring psychology. You know, sure. they, they've, tri- you know, Triple H leading up to this, you had a lot of um, problems with his knee, injury of the knee. And then for like the first seven or eight minutes of the match, Rock goes to town on the Oh, uh, he's just working it. Just working, working the knee. And it's like, all right, he's he's breaking him down a little bit. You know, again, you don't see a ton of that in wrestling these days where they just... Another match we'll talk about later on, I have a point where they kind of forgot about the ring psychology that they were doing in the middle of that match. But it just... The build-up, too. You know, there there were spots, but there weren't a ton of high spots. No. Yeah, guys, um, though, that size there wouldn't be, right? No, They're but... too big physically. Right. But um, the match just has such an organic build-up to it, too. You know, you don't see a lot of finishing moves or anything until the last couple minutes of the match. Um, and also, props to the... Speaking of finishing moves, props to the real pedigree. The one where Triple H will fuck up your day because he has your arms, mm-hmm. you know, tied up and he's going to drop you. And instead of letting your arms go so you can brace yourself... Um, it's just, just from top to bottom, it's just so yeah. good. I, yeah, I, and there's a number of ladder matches on our list for discussion today. This felt like the least ladder match of the ladder matches, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, Jones, yeah. I have a question for you about yeah. this match. Yes. Sorry, go, Finn, do your point for us. Oh, no, 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 go on. Uh, it's going to take us out of the conversation, so go ahead and uh, oh, make your point. I, no, I was, I was, I was kind of swirling around to the wrap up. So no, please. Yeah. Um, so in this match, you know, it's it's Rock and Triple H, but we do have two people on the outside of the ring. We have uh, Mark Henry and we have China. So Jones, my first question for you is this: Between Mark Henry and China, who has the better tits? At the time. china okay uh, i'm glad that you said that jones so that brings me to my follow-up question to that <laughs> nice setup if you had the opportunity at that point in time and your choice was to fuck china or to fuck the sega channel yeah who are you fucking china okay okay what? okay <laughs> Right. I don't just know why that's even calling the question. I look. I just wanted to kind of see what your what your thoughts were on the subject. It's important that we sneak that in there every once in a while. It's been a while, so just you happy. never forget. Just have to make sure that the yeah. audience, yeah. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. never forget. Yeah, never I, forget. I, I'll never forget. 
Um, but yeah, so 1998, a good year for wrestling, great year for The Rock and for Triple H. Great year for The Rock, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Best, better year for The Rock. Yeah, for sure. Triple H was still kind of back there a little bit, but uh, no, I think that was an excellent pick. And it's actually one of my favorite ladder it's matches of all time. Yeah. Um, last thing, did you guys watch this match on Peacock? Oh, of course. Okay. No. All right. Um, on Peacock, they had a home video only. Yeah, I saw that. I'd never seen that before. Never saw it before either. So I I actually watched it twice because like, what the fuck is this? So when you watch this on Peacock, everybody, they had a segment that did not appear as a part of the pay-per-view. It was a, you know, behind the scenes kind of a thing of The Rock leaving the ring, going through the entrance with a doctor who wants to go kind of check on her because the rock gets busted open uh, during the match a little bit, a little bit of blood on his face and everything again, kind of adds to it, but they go backstage and the doctor's like trying to help the rocks like rock. We got to check on your rocks. Like get the, get out of the rocks face, you know? And then the rock just goes and fucking cuts a promo yeah. right after the match is over. Like what? Three minutes maybe. Yeah. And it's a brilliant promo about, you know, how, you know, the triple H triple H got this one on the rock, but you know, guarantee the the people's champion is going to come back for it, and you know your time is your your time holding the belt is limit. It was so fucking good. Yeah, it was it was solid. He's yeah. he's, sitting, he's just sitting down, yeah. still bleeding. He just cuts the, the 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 doctor out, and he's just like, you know, you got me this time, but the Rock is still the people's champ. The Rock is still the people's choice, and you know the time will come, Triple H. I'm gonna get that belt back. You know that's you know the little follow up rubber band promo, which he did not need. Nope. <laughs> because no. Nor did he ever look back on yeah. the Intercontinental he literally title. That was yeah. that was it. He yeah. leveled up, folks. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so uh, I guess we in alphabetical order. Uh, I will. I guess I will go next then. Uh, so I'm glad that I'm gonna. I was gonna save this match for last, but there's a lot I need to say about it. Um, and it's not the match that that I I you think that I would want to have a, to say a lot about. But uh, SummerSlam uh, 2013. Brock Lesnar and CM Punk. In my opinion, it's the perfect match. Uh, which is a big statement. But, like, what makes a perfect match, right? Um, a perfect match requires a lot of things in my mind. And this is all just my opinion, of course. But, like, a perfect match requires two capable, experienced, or multiple wrestlers. Like, you have to have people who know what they're doing. CM Punk and Brock Lesnar. Uh, the story has to be has to have a build, a real genuine build to it. And this this feud, man, is one of my top feuds of 2013. And one of the top feuds of the decade. Uh, because CM, cause it was a feud not with Brock Lesnar, it was, it was CM Punk and Paul Heyman. Yep, yep. Right? Because the, they were best friends. And the beauty of this storyline is that it was, it was, air quotes, real. Because they had a relationship when Punk came to... ECW when Paul Heyman was kind of running that show when he came to the WWF, you know they had they had a, a, a relationship. You know they became friends. They became friends over time, and they became very good friends. And when Punk became heavyweight champion, started his streak, became a heel, joined with Heyman. It all was like peanut butter and jelly until it wasn't. Until Punk loses the title to The Rock. Was it The Rock? Yeah, he lost to The Rock at Rumble that year. Uh, loses against uh, the Undertaker, comes back a babyface because he was a heel for a while. Yes, he was because he turned heel on the Rock the yeah. year before. He had great heel heat. God, he was so good and as a heel, I, c- I couldn't stand him. It was great. Uh, and then we get to that point, that thing that babyfaces do or heels do, like you know, 
I don't need your help tonight. And for some reason, that's always just the the, the, the thing <laughs> that just offends the other party yeah, so yeah, badly. Like, you don't need me of tonight. Of all the shit you did, that's it. Well, I'm going to screw you out of the money in the bank. And so that's what Paul Heyman did. He hit him with the ladder. Uh, and I remember I was so invested in the storyline because they were carrying it so well. Yeah. Uh, but what makes a perfect match, right? The slow build, the realism. Is it? Are they blurring the lines? And they did an excellent job but more imp- more importantly the thing that i hammer in every single wrestling episode we have is it personal and it was personal there was no title involved didn't need it it was the best versus the beast is this the only match that we have of the six that we've talked about for this where there isn't a title on the line yes i think i think yes, there is yes. yeah and for my money um there is something about betrayal that means something in wrestling right so for example so we have siblings you know we love our siblings i'm sure our siblings love us on some level but if our siblings brothers or sister betray us it hurts it burns or they do something that just isn't right but the most important part is it's not as bad as if it's your best friend because you didn't choose your sibling right that shit you were born into. You chose your best friend. You chose to trust them. And when they throw that trust away, it's real. Now, one person who is not here today might disagree with us based on the introduction he had to the episode last week for Hellbra- uh, Hellblade, um, where Noah did his whole betrayal intro. I, I think that's why he would agree, actually, because <laughs> we betrayed him. Well, that's, yeah. No, I'm saying in terms of like family versus friends. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. I, I think that this feud was great because you could relate on a level, not to like the, the, the pageantry of it all, but you can relate to the betrayal of your friend. Most of us as adults have had a friend, so, or it doesn't have to be a best friend, somebody that you thought was your friend, or at least a decent friend, like just do something, you're yeah. just like, well, motherfucker. They did you dirty. And you're just like, and it, that shit burns because you chose to trust this human being. With information or with your your friendship, with your heart, with your with your with your camaraderie, whatever the case, right? And that's what makes this match so special to me. Uh, that's why it's on the list. That's why it's my it's on my top two because it is not only is it an excellent match, but the storyline was fucking pitch perfect. You couldn't get any better. And when the force of nature, Brock Lesnar arrives, when Punk, the look on Punk's face, I remember watching that Raw. And the music plays, and he's just like, motherfucker. <laughs> he knew. He knew. We all knew it was coming. We all knew this is where this was going to go. Yeah. There's only so many times uh, you can beat up McGillicuddy until you well, go to, like, Bowser shows up. When, when a bear in a man suit is standing at the end of a runway, and you know he's fucking coming for you, and you asked for this, and now it's time to pay up, mm-hmm. your, your asshole puckers a little bit, you know, because a little bit tighter, you know? And the other reason why I agree, the other reason why I think that this is the perfect match or an example of a perfect match is that it does all those things. Like I said, it has all those beats that I already listed, but on top of that, it, it has an archetype to it. It has like a, it has a theme to it. David and Goliath. You know, Definitely. it's not two equally matched superstars. You got one CM Punk who's agile, who's snarky, who's uh, technically sound. And now, not to say, uh, Lesnar's not technically sound. He's very technically sound, but a total different approach he will brutalize you he will maim you what did paul Heyman say in the promo he will victimize you yeah. that is so good 
He's so good at that. Yeah, there's such yeah. a contrast because Punk is, he's very technical, but he's also like very fast and high flying and, you know, move after move after move. Whereas Lesnar is slower, far more brutal. He was in full on beast mode full in, the, beast mode, in this yes. match uh, and far, far more methodical in terms of it's almost like back to his UFC roots where I am just going to break you down physically. Yeah. Like you're going to be broken down mentally because I broke you down physically. Like I'm not playing head games. I am just going to beat the shit out of you. Yes. Because that's what I do. There is, there's something that happens in this match that I'm going to, I'm going to call out. I fucking hate that I'm calling it out because of specifically who it is who did it. There are three announcers calling this match. Everybody, if you watch it, Michael Cole, Jerry the King Lawler, and that motherfucker, John Bradshaw Layfield. Your favorite. <laughs> my fucking favorite. That's your boy. It's my boy. <sighs> JBL says, and this is this to me sums the entire what you guys just said, sums the whole match up. There's a point where um Lesnar has Punk in a hold in the air. I think he caught him off the top rope. And, you know, Lesnar gets his arm underneath. Punk has him from up top, switches underneath, and then fucking throws him across the ring. Right. And JBL, that's a grown man Lesnar just threw across the ring. It's true. And I paused it. (laughs) I round it. I watched it again. Did it a second time. And I'm like, I can confirm that my sources sources have confirmed (laughs) that that was a grown-ass fucking man that he tossed the way i throw a toy with my dog (laughs) it's true though cm punk has a family (laughs) he has a bank account like he probably has a fridge full of food at home and that man threw him like he was fucking nothing. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. And and if you want a any type of a greater image in your mind of what the dichotomy of these two wrestlers are, the opposites. Um, and the best part about this match is, and this is the other note I put, is that you feel during the match like if you optics right. This was great when great wrestling's great, which is the thing I loved about this match. Um, you look at Brock Lesnar and you look at Jeff Vandergrift, right? Two individuals of different sizes, about the same age. Varying in size. Right? Yes. Various in size, right? Varying in size. <laughs> you would sit there and go, Jeff ain't going to beat Brock Lesnar. No offense, Jeff. Same with me. No one's this table's going to beat Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Same thing if fucking CM Punk is sitting right there. Right. We're going to look at that and say there is no fucking chance. The optics. But how many times when you're watching this match, do you believe that CM Punk has the match won and it's being pulled away from him? Yeah. At least three times from my count. Until that F5 on the chair. Yeah. So I specifically wrote, to your point, yeah. uh, there is no logical way Punk can beat Lesnar, which is why you as a fan can believe that he will. Yep. And that's the best. But David, David and Goliath, Goliath. That's mm-hmm. it. That, it's, that, this, to me, is, is truly the per- It took 434 days, but it is the perfect match. It is. It doesn't. To me, this is CM Punk's swan song. This whole angle, everything. Not not the 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 straight society, 
Not any of that. Not the stuff with Nexus. All the stuff was good. Punk's never bad. Is also but this the mic the mic bomb? There was one moment. Still, this was a culmination of all that. All that because if you think about it, after that, what did he do? He feuded with the Wyatts for like a week and a half with Daniel Bryan, and that was it. And then the Rumble happens, and then he quits. Yeah. So like, this is this is this this whole storyline. It to me was such a beautiful. It was beautiful then as a fan as as to watch something manifest slowly because you think about again Lesnar didn't show up every week Punk and Heyman were there every week you looked I looked forward to their interactions because I knew it was going to be good every single time well if you think too at that point in wrestling we were at a point where a lot of guys weren't getting pushed you know what we would I think around this time and I probably got some dates and stuff kind of mixed up but right were we watching and like John Cena no maybe it was maybe Shawn no Shawn Michaels Shawn Michaels had went away for a little bit, came back, and he's like, all right, so who are you pushing? And they're like, um, Cena, Randy Orton, they're fighting again. And, you know, you'd be like, they were just doing that like a year and a half ago when I was here. And it was the same, it was the same situation. They had a roster full of hugely talented people. But nobody was really getting pushed. I will argue. I will disagree with that, and I will argue the yes movement was 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 a well, thing. Yeah. Because you know Dan O'Brien was fighting John Cena for the heavyweight right. title that very he, night. He he was. But I'm and saying. He did win. But I'm saying like kind of leading into this. But CM Punk came along and held about for what four hundred and thirty four days. Yep. Four hundred thirty four days, right? Um, and that changed the landscape. You know, I think one of the favorite things during the t- that time, Jones, when when we were roommates and. Um, like right before that was watching Daniel Bryan and Punk feud because it was great storytelling, great wrestling, and it was somebody it was it was different. It was a different voice at that point. Um but Punk was a very different than what we even typically see now. Right. Except for one thing. There's one thing that's still the same that I wanted to mention to you, I want to ask you guys about here. And his name is Paul Heyman? Dude, he's the greatest. That's a yeah. I was gonna talk about that next. So this match really comes down to the masterful way that Paul Heyman, Paul Heyman's. <laughs> uh, we saw it, you know, here in this feud with Punk and Lesnar. We've we've seen it, you know, over the years with Lesnar, with the Bloodline with what went down with Sami Zayn, with what's going on now with Cody Rhodes, like Paul Heyman is so fucking good at his job. Yeah. Uh, To a ridiculous degree because everybody fucking hates Paul Heyman, but you love Paul Heyman for the way that he does what he does. It's like he gets it in a way that nobody else can possibly dream of getting it to an extent. Um, <laughs> sorry go on um, threw me off a little bit it's okay um, to the point that I wrote here the question I want to ask you guys is Paul Heyman the most important thing to happen to wrestling in the last 25 years nope yeah I don't I don't think so he's got an important part to play for sure uh there's been a lot of Paul Heyman guys. Uh, yeah. And there will be another Paul Heyman guy after the current Paul Heyman guys. 
in the bloodline. Um, important place to play? Yes, definitely. The most important? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think he is an excellent... He accentuates everything. He accents everything. Paul Heyman's never bad on the microphone. Period. No. Yeah. And actually, where did I write it? Where did I write it? Okay, so... I am a... I'm, again, we've all been watching wrestling a long time. I arguably have watched a hair more wrestling than you guys may have over the years of your life. Potentially. And the one thing that always is like uh, sticks in my craw as a, as a fan, as a, as a consumer, when I watch a manager on the outside not in character, there's always a, there's always a moment where that particular manager or that valet is just standing around like, and almost like they're not being themselves. They're not being the character they're yeah. supposed to be. There is never a point. Paul Heyman basically acts as if he's always on camera all the time. Always. No matter what is happening, his eyes, his body language, his look on his face, his face, every, his facial expressions are so perfect. That whole match, at no point, whether it was like a little sliver of the side of his face, he had that, he's, he's in it. Yeah. Because Paul Heyman's a fan. Paul Heyman's a real fan. Yeah, he's in fan. it. Yeah. He's fully invested. And you even see that today. I'm sure you guys watched Elimination Chamber. And the whole time he's in the, on the side of the ring like, oh, Travel Chief. Yes, Travel yeah, Chief. So like, yeah. like the camera's not even on him, but you can hear him. Like mm-hmm. over there on the other side, like, come on, Travel Chief. You got this, Travel Chief. Sam Zane's a piece of shit, Travel Chief. <laughs> he loves yeah. what he does. You <laughs> he can does. tell he and loves so what he does. And he's so good at it. Yeah. yeah. And he makes it personal every time. Like Whoa. what's going on with... With Cody that, and Roman yeah. right now to that pull Dusty so into good. it, ladies like, and gentlemen. Jones deep. just took off his glasses. Yo, he cuts deep. Yeah. He, he knows what he's fucking doing. Says some real shit to Cody and did not get smacked in the mouth for yeah. it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, 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 you know, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I just, I really wanted. I wrote a lot about this match. I did too. more than any other match because I felt so strongly that it. It's weird that I've watched so many matches that I that I love, that I'm like, oh, this is one of my favorite matches of all time. But, like, when I sat and really thought about it, I'm like, there are a few matches that, like, everything lines up. Right. All of it. All There's the stars align. nothing aligned. that's like, oh, that was a little weak. No, the man who should have won, won. <laughs> There's no logical reason or way the Punk should have beat him. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, we'll pass this, the baton over to Jeff. But, yeah, uh, Punk and Lesnar, SummerSlam is easily one of my favorite matches of all time. Great choice. Excellent choice. Good choice. All right, so for me, when I was looking at my favorite matches, uh, it was a challenge to narrow it down to two. Oh, dude. Uh, Bret Hart is my favorite wrestler. I did not include him in either of these matches, uh, which is hard. Yeah. It's a hard thing to swallow. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and we talk about Bret Hart a lot on this show when for we're talking about do wrestling. We? Yeah, not enough. Uh, do we talk about, I was just going to say, or do, we, or do we talk about him enough? Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. Whenever we get to our Legacy Series Bret Hart, Stone Cold, we'll get to that. Um, so for me, I, I looked at two things. One, uh, the entertainment value of the match, the quality of the match, and then the storyline of the match, like Jones mentioned earlier. Uh, so for my two, uh, the first match I chose, uh, I'll go in reverse order. So my number one match, I'll talk about in a little bit. My number two match, uh, WrestleMania 10, mm-hmm. Intercontinental title. First uh, major pay-per-view ladder match. So we're going back to the ladders. Uh, the bad guy, Razor Ramon, versus the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Uh, interesting story lead up to it. Uh, the 
self-proclaimed intercontinental champion was Shawn Michaels. Uh, the actual inter- intercontinental champion was Razor Ramon. Two belts. Uh, a lot of back and forth in previous months prior to this pay-per-view in terms of who was the actual champion. Uh, Shawn Michaels had come back from a uh, short leave of absence. Uh, it it may have been uh, company mandated. May or may have not been. have been. Uh, so he... In his mind, he was still the champion. In Razor's mind, he was the champion. Uh, so it was the first major la- ladder match that was on, you know, a major pay-per-view um, at WrestleMania. They, even these two, had prior ladder matches uh, on TV and in dark shows. But it was the first time they had, that any match really had brought the ladder into play. Uh, two similar style guys. Uh, mid-card guys at this point in their careers great characters great skill in the ring uh between the two of them but to see them sort of go at it with basically all of it on the line uh sean michaels was backed by the one and only big daddy cool diesel that's right uh future outsider uh outsider paul and nash yes Oddly um, enough, he was also outside the ring for most of this match. That he was mm. at the ring. Maybe that was the origin. <laughs> that might have been. He might have been sitting there, like, you know what, guys, you're inside this match, but I'm on the outside. Who knows? No, I'm just. Yeah. I'm, I'm. I'm connecting dots, everybody. Yeah, That's all no, I'm doing. Nobody really dots. knows. Yeah. Uh, there were some really great spots in this match. It wasn't a super long match, uh, but there were a lot of great spots there. I went back and watched like uh, there was some video that the WWE put out a few years ago where it was Sean and Scott Hall now. Yeah, it's a good video. Watching man. the match together, like no rewatching shit. the yeah, match together, cool. and they're talking about it, and they're like, "Yeah, we're pretty sure this was the only ladder that was even in that building that day," and like we were super concerned about breaking it or fucking it up because oh they there's no up. there's no way we we're gonna get yeah. the belts down you if the ladder what, didn't work can you imagine if that actually happened <laughs> what would they have done i don't know double disqualified uh, yeah. no contest diesel that. comes yeah. back out and it wasn't it wasn't turns on michaels razor gets on his shoulders <laughs> that's the only thing you can yeah. do at that point but oh you watch God. it back now like that ladder compared to more recent ladder matches super fucking rickety mm-hmm. super small yeah. yes <laughs> like it's like that's just the ladder like you typically throw in the back of your pickup truck to like go fix something on the outside of your house or shit like that. Um, but there were some great spots in this match, uh, some iconic shots. Uh, Sean doing a frog splash off the top of the ladder. Everybody remembers that. Fucking fantastic. Uh, the back and forth on the top of the ladder and Razor giving him a suplex, but only letting him go and not himself go. Yeah. Uh, a lot of knocking each other off the ladder we got to see Shawn michaels ass which i'm sure dave was super excited about well so you know let's about that so first off fine ass sean at that point in time fine ass indeed i'm confident enough to be able to acknowledge a nice ass when i see one whether it's lita's or if it happens to be Shawn i'm judging you right so you mentioned some good points there jeff which i want to kind of point out here 
because you said this is the first real like ladder match on a pay-per-view yeah you're kind of giving in front it of an audience in front size, of an audience yeah. that size and everything so you can almost say like this is the official introduction of the ladder match into the wrestling lexicon if you know to an extent so some things happen that i noticed in the match that you brought up that we also kind of see happen in almost every subsequent ladder match which includes the somebody getting thrown off the ladder um, a lot of times they're getting thrown off the ladder and onto the ropes. Yep. Um, the guys simultaneously climbing the ladder and exchanging blows. To your point, somebody getting their tights pulled, because in the other ladder matches we have here, it happened in all of them. Rock's ass comes out a little bit in the one that I talked about. We got uh, full ass, Shawn Michaels. And props to Shawn Michaels. In the middle of his ass... In, in, into, into everything that we get here, and this uh, took place where, where? MSG, yeah, MSG, right? Shows so, up again. So all of New York City is enjoying a full moon inside this arena, and rather than Sean being like, "I'm gonna go ahead and adjust my tights," no, fucking off the top, off the ladder, <laughs> fucking elbow drops, bare ass, yeah. and then decides to go. Props to that for the, for sure for being able to do that. Sean is a real thing. big fan of having his ass shipped. He is. I'm not Paper saying he's view. not. Yeah. I right. remember at WrestleMania 14, his ass, his trunks pulled down, he gets back by dropped on the Triple H. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ass first. Yeah. And, and I was going to mention it when you were talking about your ladder match. Yeah. That there are a lot of almost like shot for shot moves. Oh yeah. From one match to the next, uh, and there's a, there's a lot to be said for the way that Razor and Sean conducted this match. Uh, and it was just, it was a great match all around. And and that's kind of my point. So if you guys like to, to give a little bit of a, of a similar idea here, right? Um, the King of the Ring tournament with Steve Austin, when we got That's the Bottom Line, because Stone Cold said so, and Austin 316, right? You have those iconic moments that really form the foundation of that character happen. In this ladder match... So many seminal moments that just just keep appearing throughout big ladder matches in history happened here from those guys. And I yeah. think that's another way of acknowledging just how important this match is in the history of wrestling um, because of how people emulate it or emulate aspects of it almost every time. And to be able to come up with all of those really in one of the first times that a lot of people maybe have done something like this to that scale and, and everything... I think is a testament to this match as well. So, um, I love this match. Uh, I loved it the first time I saw it, which I... WrestleMania 10, uh, I've watched when I was growing up. I had on tape. I had all... I had one through... One through 13 on tape. Yeah, WrestleMania X, mm-hmm. as um, it was referred to. It's one of my favorite... Was one of my favorite matches for a long time. Um, so, fun fact. Um... That ma- okay, so the very first WWF ladder match was Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental title. It was a Coliseum home video matchup from uh, July of 1992. Uh, ma- fun fact, because Bret Hart's always right, uh, it was Bret's idea because in Stampede Wrestling, ladder matches were a thing. And like he came to Vince and said, I had this idea. Yeah. This is what we used to do in Calgary. What do you think? Vince is like, that sounds interesting enough. And Vince, Brett says, and they talk about it. This is always from Brett's perspective, but no one's challenged it because it's probably fucking true. Vince tells Brett, 
that first time we do this on a mainstream stage, I'll make sure you're a part of it. Mm-hmm. Man, I didn't see Bret Hart in that match. <laughs> nope. No. <laughs> nah. There was hearts in that match. It was just all over uh, Sean's tights. Yeah. But uh, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever watched that match, but it's you a different can find type of Montreal screw I used made. to have it on tape years ago. I had I used to collect wrestling tapes when I was like middle school, high school, and uh, I sold them all to my Spanish teacher because I had no money and I really needed money for something. I couldn't tell you what I bought <laughs> at this point. Couldn't tell you now, but I'd watched all those tapes for so so much that like I didn't need them anymore. In retrospect, I should have kept them all, but. On this one particular Coliseum Home Video was this ladder match. It was a good match. 17 minutes long. You can find it. It's not on YouTube. but you can, It's not on the network, of course. But you can find it on Daily Motion. Uh, it's still there. Randomly on the internet. It's a good match. It's awesome. Last thing I want to say about this, because you, you mentioned Vince. Uh, Vince is doing commentary. Oh my yep. god, what a maneuver! Yeah. So... I have two observations from Vince because, like I told you, I watched each of these matches twice. Once to just take in the match, and then the other to kind of put my notes down and everything. So, two things I noticed here about Vince. First off, how many fucking times is Vince going to sit there and say, I have never seen anything like this before? Which is like my Jerry Seinfeld of Vince McMahon to a little bit there. It's seriously, it's like he's like blowing himself. <laughs> during this match like look what bit. i came up with this is my brainchild oh my god Listen, you're, you're never gonna say anything like this anything regarding Shawn michaels vince has a heart on oh for yeah. yeah and it, it shows in this match yeah to be fair it was a good match yeah. but uh vince mcmahon i got love for him as an announcer i do because he like he's a part of my childhood but he's not great at it He's no. not, he's not, no. he's not great. He's no. very, oh, well, oh, did you see that? Oh, look at that, only the WWE, if you're going to see the action like this. Did you yeah. even say anything? You didn't say anything. What are you even talking about? Um, but to the match. Right. The match is excellent. And to the point you both brought up, you brought up, Mac, um, it is an important match because it did set the stage for an entire generation of, of, of fans and eventual wrestlers to emulate what they saw. Yep. Um, it, it, yeah, you'd never you'd never seen anything like this on a, on on pay per view. This was not a thing that people watched. So this was a big big deal. And to jump back to a couple matches ago, uh, you I think it was you mentioned how engaged the fans at MSG can be. Yeah. Uh, the big deal is, and we've talked about this. We've all talked about this. The big difference is there were no cell phones or smartphones to distract people. You had yep. you literally it's had what in. was in front of you. Yep. And so you took in every fine detail, and that was it. That was all you had. So you had no choice. Either that, or you just left. Yeah. You know, like you be yeah. entertained or leave. Yeah. So, because I mean, you go to a show now, you either have your phone up, or you're chanting something that isn't even necessarily chant relevant. Some, this is awesome. This <laughs> that's not awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whereas then it's like, okay, there's there's no distractions. There's just what's going on in the ring. And you're fully invested in one or the other. And, you know, I will give all the flowers to Scott Hall. Like, the the, the final shot of the match, he puts the ladder back so up. Cool. He's holding it's both still belts cool to this day. at the top. And it's like, fuck, that guy should have well, got a championship at some him, point him, in his career. Him falling after he got the belts off. Like, he, that was 20 feet up in the air for him yeah. to just go ahead and just drop flat on his back like it was nothing. 
Yes. Right? Scott Hall, uh, and I, we've also, again, we should do a, we should do an episode on who, like, people who were never heavyweight champions should have been. Scott Hall is at the top of the list. Yeah, absolutely. People who, at least one solid run as the WWF heavyweight champion. What should have happened is because they had a rubber match at SummerSlam, the two of them, Sean beat him. Razor should have just went on, become heavyweight champion, or at least get in the picture. And they never did it. For And unless he had his demons, he was maybe not reliable. And obviously that showed yeah. over the years, which is unfortunate because goddamn, he had the yeah, he size, had it all, the look. he had the look, he had the charisma, he had that intangible thing. Like Rock comes out at SummerSlam '98, Razor Ramon comes out at WrestleMania Ten or X. There's a thing that they have that no one else has. Yep. it's just that yeah, X factor yeah. that yeah, people part talk of their about. Persona. And it, he's dripping it. He's oozing it. He's perfect at it. Oozing machismo, they yep. say. And uh, I remember when I was a little kid, I mean, everybody had at least one friend who had the toothpick and they'd flick it at you because they're being a dick. But, like, but Razor Ramon was that inspiration. Well, that's because you, good you, times don't last, but bad guys do. You, fuck. Uh, you looked off into the distance like you had a very particular oh, yeah. person in mind. I know mind exactly what I'm talking about. Pick. You know who you are. Um, <laughs> so, Jones, you mentioned your affinity for Vince as an announcer, right? Uh, yeah, that's what so, I said. Have you ever you ever seen those videos? <laughs> you ever see those videos online when somebody has like a watermelon or something, and they start putting rubber bands around it? Yes. And they want to see how many rubber bands it's going to take before the watermelon explodes. Yes. Vince McMahon's octaves as he's doing commentary on these matches sounds like a group of Keebler elves are under the desk putting rubber bands around his testicles because I don't understand how his voice gets that way. And then as soon as the rubber band bursts, he goes, and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's, oh, just, man, just he, rop right down into Vince. all over the place. You're yeah. right. That's all. I just, I had to get that note in. Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. He's a billionaire now. He, he that motherfucker got thrown out of his own company, and then five he months later, his way came back, back forced his way back They're in. They're like, okay, welcome at back. At the expense of his daughter. Yeah, yeah. She's like, fuck this. Fuck, man. Jesus. Also, last thing I'm going to say about this match, yeah. uh, how, how wild it is, because uh, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, and Diesel are all best friends. They're the clique. They're still, they're traveling buddies at this point. Yep. You know? They are boys. They are they are starting to build up and run the show a little bit in the backstage. It's all very uh, storied. The the click. A year later, a year later, Shawn Michaels and Diesel are wrestling for the heavyweight title at WrestleMania 11. Motherfuck, man! A year later, Diesel's always on his way out. Paving Razor's his, on his way out. Paving their way. And then the, the wrestling n- world n- changes. N- 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 new world order. It just changes. Seriously, like three really important guys in the ring in this one match, yeah. really important human beings, and to the history, to what we ended up watching and enjoying. If you'd have told me, if you'd have told me in 1994 that Razor Ramon and Diesel would be two of the biggest stars in wrestling, I'm like, oh, okay, sure, I can believe that, but not in the way you think. Not in the way, you know? not in that way, yeah. But it, it makes sense though if you think about it. Like history is littered with situations of of great people that are just drawn to each other, right? Um, like when you look at like the nineteen like seventies film school at, at USC, fucking Martin Scorsese was there, Steven Spielberg was there, um, George Lucas was there. Um, just uh, there's a couple guys whose names I'm even just kind of forgetting off the top of my head, but like they were all film buddies. Like they just sat there in class and critiqued each other's work. And then like the the last fifty years of cinema has been defined by them, right? Um, it makes sense that. 
Diesel and Hall and Michaels and Triple H and those guys would all gravitate towards each other. Just like, um, you know, from a chance meeting at a toy store led um, three individuals to find out a mutual friend that was into wrestling. And then 20 years later, you're listening to this podcast as a result of it. Greatness attracts greatness, gentlemen. Oh, man, listen to you. That's right. I know those guys. Yeah. So history littered with it. Um, I believe you're up, Mac. Um, before I go ahead and uh, and talk about my my second match here, everybody, what's everyone drinking today? Oh man, oh, we're a little late in the game yeah, here. An hour, well, an hour later, uh, I'm drinking uh, <laughs> another Southern Tier surprise. Surprise! It's a new haze, and it's good. <laughs> it sounds great. It's good. I I can't wait to crack one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's right delicious. now. Those, those real good beers that yeah. you're drinking. Uh, I am drinking uh, Double Broken Heels uh, Hazy Double IPA from New Trail Brewing. Uh, and I, uh, because I enjoyed so much of it last time, I'm sticking with the cock uh, this week and uh, drinking my second uh, uh, Suck My Cocachino beer. Uh, Cocachino, actually. Um, and a Coca-Cola. I'm kind of going back and forth. Cock and Coke, Coke and cock. Just, you know. Sounds like a Saturday night, man. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> right. Let's call the whole thing off. All right. So second uh, match that I have here is one we've actually talked about on this podcast uh, because it goes into one of my Back to the Favorite Feuds episode, you know, available in the archives, um, is one of the visually most infamous matches in probably the history of wrestling. And that takes us to WrestleMania 17. TLC. TLC 2, technically. Yeah. Uh, Hardy's versus Dudley's versus Edge and Christian at the Houston Astrodome. Uh, a 15-minute and 50-second match. Nine participants, six that you know of, three <laughs> that you don't. Um, and um, again, visually... So we talked about, I think, what I like about this match is it's it's really different than the first one that I picked. Because the first one that I picked is a slow build. There's not a lot of spots. There's a story that's being told in the ring between these two performers. A lot of ring psychology, you know, and it, it works beautifully as a match. But they this, both have ladders. They do. So are they that different? We're getting to that. Okay. One has ladders. On. The other has tables and chairs mm. with and those ladders, ladders. Yes. yeah far more ladders far if, more tables if far you, more chairs if you go to if you go to moonlit burger yes uh and get a burger mm-hmm. and then you go to red robin and get a burger you're getting burgers but are you really getting the same burger it's not the same it's not the same exactly so um but in this match um it's basically all spots mm-hmm. um <laughs> my first note on this match was this match is complete mayhem <laughs> it is complete mayhem um, and it takes five to eight minutes before we eat, we see any tables, ladders, or chairs. Which which is interesting because I decided to, on my, my third watch of this one, um, to kind of take some, to some statistics. You know, how many um, ladders are involved in this match? How many chairs are involved in this match? How many tables? How many chair shots? How many ladder shots mm. are involved, right? So um, to set the stage here, everybody, we have... Uh, it is for the WWF Tag Team Championship. We have the uh, Dudley Boys, uh, veterans in the tag team world, out of ECW, out defending of everywhere, champs. defending champs. Um, and you got two up and coming tag teams 
young youngins in the industry looking to make a name for themselves. And boy, oh boy, do they make a name for themselves. And that would be the Hardy Boys, Matt and Jeff. Um, I don't want to say before all the drugs, but probably at least early on in the drugs. Did you guys hear the latest from Jeff Hardy as oh, of this week? God, no. no. Uh, zero jail time. Oh. His driver's license is suspended for 10 years, and he is cleared to go back to work at his leisure. No kidding. Yeah. Just not in Canada. Whether Tony Khan is going to pick him back up or not. In that man needs to stay away from and, us. Uh, we shall see. But uh, he can wrestle if he wants to. I guess is the, yeah. the judge order. Yeah, uh, man's been through some shit. Yeah, oh, um, self inflicted. And obviously. in this match, he yeah. he's literally <laughs> threw yeah. a lot of shit in yeah. this match. Uh, but you got Matt and Jeff, uh, and then you've got um, you know a broodless brood with Edge and Christian. A uh, couple of kids from no big Game dr- Grill. Couple of kids with big dreams from Canada. Um, big both dreams, lo- big glasses. Both looking like what I would expect a vampire hunter from the video game Castlevania to look like, but in real life. It's always been my thing with Edge and Christian. <laughs> Point, go ahead and paint that picture for yourselves. So, um, you know, triple threat tag team match. Everybody's just in the ring. Belts, again, up high. Another common thing with a ladder match, everybody, is that we have to have the camera above the belts to make sure we get that shot of when people are climbing the ladders and they're they're struggling. Yeah, pre-ladder matches, we didn't get any sort of overhead aerial shots. Yeah. Uh, but once ladder matches became a thing, that became pretty yeah. common. Uh, but these these three tag teams just going at each other for, for you know, basically a year and a half uh, at this time. They might still be going at it. They, I, don't, they, they, I don't even know. <laughs> do you imagine just like randomly going to like a giant eagle parking lot yeah. at like 1130 at night and like Devon is yelling or Bubba Ray is yelling at Devon to go get the tables and he just like pops the trunk open in his pickup truck and there's a fucking table and then Christian's like climbing on top. Like, could you just imagine the mind? Like you could sit there and tell everybody you know what you saw and nobody would fucking Oh, they wouldn't you. leave a word of that. Nobody would believe you. Like, I, I would be like Baba Rain, like, walk up to him, like, grab somebody by the shirt, like, go ahead and tell everybody. No one will fucking believe you. <laughs> and then, boom, like, Matt Hardy goes through a chair, goes, like, goes through a table, right? Um, so, this is not a scientific calculation with this match, but by my estimation watching this, we have uh, five ladders that were used in this match, uh, five chairs that were used in this match. And uh, seven tables that were used in this match. Um, by my calculation, there were about 20 or so ladder shots throughout the course of this match. Uh, seven distinct chair shots. And eight tables. Well, eight table shots, seven of which the tables were broken. There was one point where somebody just got thrown off the table and it didn't break, but I didn't know if I wanted to include that or not. But, you know, going on technicalities, we have to go ahead yeah, and do that. Still counts. But if you want to go ahead and kind of look at what that is, basically 25, 30, 40, 43 element uh, pieces in a 15-minute match, which basically means if you're doing the math, you're looking at about three plus elements of this tables, ladders, and chairs match every minute of the match you're watching this. All right. There's a lot going on. That's, yeah. Fuck. And like you said, um, there's about five minutes in the match before they actually go ahead and start bringing the elements into it. They all start in the ring. Then it's nonstop, like, we're stacking 
ladders, we're stacking chairs, we're stacking tables, we're stacking chairs on ladders and ladders on tables, and everybody's getting fucked up. Everybody's getting fucked up. Yeah. So much so that the six contestants in the ring can't be everything you have in this match because we need to add a few more people yes. to give everybody else an opportunity. How many more do we need to add? Three. So many people. So many people. Because each tag team at this point has another piece to that group right now that is not in the match. And uh, it starts with um, everybody's favorite, 150 pounds soaking wet, Spike Dudley. Oh, good old Spike. Mm -hmm. The run of the litter. Yep. Um, And uh, Spike comes in to the ring and just, uh, what do you call a move? Acid drop in ECW. I don't know if they were calling that in WWF, but it's called the acid drop. Yeah. But he does two consecutive acid drops. Yeah. Um, one in which he uh, is in the ring, and he does that to... I should have made a note. One of, this of the many long-haired people. Uh, What's well, not... It, yeah. yeah. You'd have to do two acid drops yeah. to make sense of it all. Uh, and then the, the second one was Christian. And he does the acid drop from Christian basically off the top turnbuckle and out of the ring through a table when i was watching this match with stephanie because she's like i really don't want to watch wrestling right now i'm like you're gonna sit down and watch this one because as you said it's total mayhem mm -hmm. i'm like steph watch how D watch how uh bubba ray and devon set up four tables on top of each other outside the match four minutes in and then wait for the next 10 or 12 minutes for it to pay off. Right. Because so much of this match was just as much of setting up for the shit to kind of happen as it is for the actual things to happen. Because it's really one of those, you know, we're going to go ahead and do this, and we're going to let you forget about it for a little bit. Because that table that, uh, that Spike put Christian through was set up out there about seven minutes before he actually went through it. Um, Sounds so, about right. So we have that. Um, and then, if I remember correctly, it was Rhino who comes in second. Yes, correct. Uh, so Rhino, of course, is with Edge and Christian uh, at this point. Because why not? Because why not? Um, probably the unsung hero of this match. Probably the MVP of the match. He was, won the match was, for them. Was Rhino. Yeah, exactly. For in numerous situations. Uh, and then, of course, we have Lita, who comes oh, in. Lita. Who comes in third. And of course, Paul Heyman is uh, is one of the commentators on this. Uh, Lita does a move. She does the top row Perican Rana and then gets up, does what the Hardys do, takes her shirt off, Paul Heyman, in great, you know, late, you know, 1990s uh, WWE. Take it all off, you know? <laughs> oh, uh, and then, of course, then she goes, that that prompts her right into a 3D. Oh, so good. Oh, so good. Listen, yeah, that... The 3D on Lita was pretty brutal. It was. Listen, they're good at putting, doing 3Ds to ladies, man. Yeah. Ask Bula McKillicuddy, she'll tell you. Um, so, as a side note for me, uh, watching this match, the bonus to watching this match, the bonus of clicking on this pay-per-view is because it is customary. If you touch WrestleMania 17, if you come anywhere close to it, you must watch the Rock and Austin yep. promo video. If you don't watch it, are you even a fan? Fuck yourself. No, you're not a fan. <laughs> so, of course, I sat and watched it because it's the greatest video promo of all it. time. Yeah, you're already there. God, it was so good. It was so good. Yeah. It, it, it told everything you needed to see and then some and put emotion behind it. But anyhow, yeah. I digress. Back to the match. Um, um, this was peak WWF, man. It was. Like, 2001, this was it. It it We went downhill after this year because Austin turns heel that night. 
just fucking murders the business. Yeah. He should have never turned heel. He admitted it as such, but that changed everything. The one constant we had was a babyface Steve Austin. Yeah. That was the money. That's what people wanted to see. But this match... You know, it's funny. This is the first match I watched when I went to go watch all that. I was like, I was fired up, you know. Whew! There's a lot of shit happening in this match, man. <laughs> There's a lot. Like, There's a lot going on. You gotta learn. You learn a little bit about your friends by their favorite <laughs> matches. <laughs> I learned that Dave really likes ladder matches. Listen, so it, this this he likes is gimmick matches a lot. Yes, this yes. is. Well, it, I think it's. I'm gonna say coincidence because he's a big edge guy. So I think that has a lot to do well, with it. Well, I, I, I was teetering between this and there was a match between Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho from WrestleMania 19 ah, that I that I was really going with. And I, I was almost going to do Rock Austin 17 instead of this. I was going back and forth amongst those three. Which again, ladies and gentlemen, favorite matches part one. So I was like, yeah, fuck it. We'll talk about some of these other ones later on. We'll get to it. Um, for me, it was there are three visuals in this match besides Lita's tits that um to me are just if you put on hey if you go ahead and and like say to somebody who's maybe never seen wrestling before and you put together like a highlight reel of like shit that happens in like the history of wrestling right um austin and bret hart you know you know hogan body slamming uh andre there are visuals from this pay-per-view that you know often duplicated never quite reproduced to the same because you've got number one a uh jeff hardy swanton from a 20 foot ladder yep through a table that puts both rhino and spike down first off i again watching that i kind of wrote to myself why the fuck would you do that there to are some really like stupid bumps that yep. they horribly, made a few, quite a few <laughs> horribly stupid bumps in that right number two uh, Rhino pushing Matt Hardy and um, Bubba Ray off the ladder in the middle of the ring, catapulting them at least 40 feet through the set of four tables that are outside the ring. Yeah. Done, you know, 20 minutes, like 15 minutes earlier in the match before it happens. Because, you know, again, watching that, like, again, how fucking stupid is this that if you don't time that jump right for those two guys... I don't even. Do you even practice that? It's like it's no, like Mick. Don't it, no, that. it's like Mick Foley going off the top of Hell in a Cell because um, if he misses and, and Mick almost misjudged, yeah. but like and, and, and just a small the margin of error is so it's small, so thin, yeah. right? Um, and fortunately, they both hit it perfectly. Um, and then, of course, what shows up on every single highlight video and intro and promo in the history of wrestling the spear is the spear Ooh, right that could have gone really different here's the thing like we've talked about three ladder matches now and at one point did something happen where the belts are so strong that <laughs> yeah, when you grab them yeah they do not come unlatched right because there are three spots in this match where they're just fucking hanging from the belts yes. and the ladders are gone and one, like you just mentioned, is Jeff Hardy getting fucking yeah. speared yeah. off of a ladder while he's dangling from a belt 15 feet in the air. Yeah. And actually, too, because um, um, Bubba Ray is kind of pulling the ladder away from Jeff to get him to start swinging. 
so that when he, he so he's able to swing forward so edge doesn't have to go really as far out to make that spear because you see what he does it jeff is in the forward swing with his momentum going towards edge yeah. and fucking props yeah, you know so they don't die yeah. fucking yeah. props to edge because if you watch that and again i watched it like three times the control he had from the point that he makes you contact with jeff all the way down to the ground was so perfect that neither one of them like theoretically got hurt at least not to the point that they couldn't continue right which easily somebody could have fucked that up right oh, yeah. it's just there's no rotation for jeff once he gets hit they're both perfectly in control the entire way to the ground yeah, it, um, edge really you know that carries him but he helps him out oh lot, he, yeah. he really took care of him and rightfully so because you know you're, you're putting your career at the line in, in line um but in hindsight, in hindsight, the amount of stupid fucking bumps that Jeff Hardy took over <laughs> the course of his career, including all these TLC matches, yeah. like, I mean, realistically, that had to contribute to all of his personal problems. I'm, I'm sure on some Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, your, your body hurts. You gotta, but, you gotta numb the pain somehow, and he numbs it every way he can. But it's a fucking spectacle at WrestleMania. Yeah. The, the spot where he attempts <laughs> to walk across the, the ladders. Across yeah. the ladders, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, brother, I don't know what you think you're about yeah. to do here. You're I've not seen Kobe wipe... Kingston, motherfucker. Yeah. I've seen wipe out <laughs> enough times to know what happens when you hit the second big ball. Like, yeah. you're going to get fucked up. Yeah. So, so don't do that on out. a ladder. That is I not. What, very... I wonder what was going to be, like, the, the ultimate spot there. Like, ultimately. But we'll never know, thank God. Because the thing is, I mean, if you look at all the elements, the tables, ladders, and chairs, the table is the most forgiving thing, yeah. and it's not very forgiving. No. No, and, and that brings a really good point, because of all the things that happen in this match, there is one that I saw, and I literally went, oh, shit. And that was Lita's chair shot to the head of Spike. <laughs> she... She <laughs> she swung. She yeah. swung, and the way that that chair hit it was his face did not hit the flat part that you sit on in the chair. It hit the area between the back of the chair and the actual flat part with it folded. And you could actually, if you slow it down enough, you could actually see Spike's face partially go through the yeah. gap. It's like, uh, what's that movie, uh, The Frighteners, where they, the ghost yeah. pushes its face through the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what, <laughs> that that's was, what the chair looked that was like actually, Spike's face. That was actually Spike's face when that happened. There was, like, this weird, very dangerous period between, like, 1997 and, like, 2002, It was reckless. Where, like, it was really chair reckless. shots were horrible. Yeah. Like, horrible, horrible. Like, everybody remembers Ken Shamrock getting hit in the head by The Rock with a chair on Monday Night Raw, and he hit him. I mean, laid into him. And that noise still, I remember the noise his skull made against the chair. You know, I know people are like, oh, wrestling's fake. Motherfucker, let somebody do that to you. You ain't doing that. Nope. Now for six figures, you'll do it. I don't even know if I do it for six. <laughs> uh, but to, to the point, like, you know, Worth it. what Spike did to him, to, <laughs> what she did to her, to him, and get them all mixed up, uh, was significant. Uh, you know what else was significant? The winners of this match. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure they said it, and I'm pretty sure I remember like the very my okay. So this TLC match is not my favorite. Uh, the first one is technically not my favorite, even though it was the first TLC match. My favorite is is, is it was only the Hardys and Edge and Christian. It was that ladder match they had that started the whole thing. It was like the the Terry Runnels Invitational 
whatever the hell it was. Uh, and that meant to me that like set the stage. Like you, you, they had kept having the top what they did. Yeah. Like, they keep topping what they yeah, did. Yeah. How do you one up it as I, you keep getting more extreme? Yeah. Because yeah. the, the TLC, the last one was the WrestleMania the previous year, right? 16. Excellent match. You know, that's when Jeff Hardy came off that big ass ladder with the Swanton yeah. in, the, in the stage area. Right. Which I'll never forget that. This match was excellent too, but it was almost like chaos for chaos sake. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, the stakes didn't feel that high. Because it was like, okay, we... It was more the spectacle of it. But that's yeah. why... That, I think that's why I kind of chose well, this. That's entertaining as hell. It's the spectacle. I don't know that I've seen a wrestling match where the spectacle was like before or since that could really kind of... Because anything else, I think, at this point, if they're trying to top that, 43 elemental shots in 15 minutes, like, it, it's almost too much to to like oh, logically yeah. Yeah. you know you've seen like we've seen gimmick matches in and tna we've seen gimmick matches in aw and ecw and, and ring of honor and everything else and it's just like it what I, this almost like set the cap like if you try to go beyond this like i can't i can't it's even too much yeah. i can't even believe it i understand the mechanics and, and i know how the sausage is made and all this and i'm still not buying it yeah. you know so but that's why i chose this because it's just it's entertaining as hell Oh yeah, it was, yeah. and it 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 helped elevate Edge and Christian, you know. Yeah, with yeah. the win, with the win in this match, absolutely. And uh, from a tag team perspective, and then obviously they both went on to their individual things a few years later. But all in all, a super entertaining match. Oh yeah, we got uh, you know six you know first round Hall of Famers in that match. Yeah, uh, without question, which is awesome. Well, I mean, Lita seven. Well, yeah. Well, I meant who actually wrestled. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. And uh, I mean, you know, today, you know, kind of looking back on things, you know, Rhino is even looked at at such a different light. Rhino was a good. He was good. Rhino always was. was but in I an mean, ultimate timeline, Rhino was heavyweight champion once yeah. in the WWF. One yeah. good time because he had one in him. Yeah. If they if they'd approached it the right, because he was a big deal in ECW. Goddamn. Was. I, yep. I remember Rhino. You know what else I remember? Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect, nineteen ninety one. Look, so uh, look, this match is <laughs> means a lot to me. Uh, I didn't see it live. Nineteen ninety one. I was, I was. My parents were not doing pay per views. That shit was not happening. Uh, I didn't see this match until like ninety four on VHS. I would say it's like a best of SummerSlam or something or other. I came across it. And I was like, this is this, this. If Okay, everybody has a match that if you knew somebody who was teetering on maybe watching wrestling some, at some point, there's a match that you, you would show them. This is the, that match for me. There was, there was almost, uh, there was, it wasn't personal. You know, it was, the title was the motivation. Yeah. What title was it, Jones? Well, I'm glad you asked. The workhorse title, the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship. The in- wait, the Intercontinental Championship match? That's right. We're talking about the Intercontinental Championship? Again. Again? Again? Where did this match take place, Jones? I'm glad you asked that. Oh, man, I think it was uh, uh, Madison Square Garden. Madison, an oh, Intercontinental it Championship was. match? It was. In Madison At Square Madison Garden. Square Garden? Again. Again? You know, you know what else is important about that night? What's that? Macho Man and Elizabeth wedding. That's right. Boy, it's a it's an important day for wrestling fans all over the world. <laughs> I think at that point they were already divorced too. Um, 
fucking real life. It was for TV. Uh, we uh, all know. Um, so wait, it's not real. God, they blurred those lines so, so well. So this is like to me when I think of wrestling in the '90s, I think of Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. I god damn it, will you stop? Like I, true. <laughs> there is something about them together makes me happy. It it just. It brings out joy listening to them banter back and forth and how Gorilla would just get so frustrated with Bobby Heenan constantly. You know, Bobby just egging him on, oh, you know? He, he knew how to push but it. But he would he'd back oh, off the last second, oh, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. Um, but, I, you know, this being one of my favorite... This is genuinely one of my favorite matches of all time, and I wrote so little because I didn't know what to say to it because it's not like there was, like, some crazy build-up. There's no a major angle. Brett was the number one contender for the Intercontinental title. I couldn't tell you what the buildup was. I tried to find out what the buildup was. I don't think there really was any. It was like, well, Mr. Perfect's Intercontinental yeah, Champion. It's your turn. You get a shot. Brett's number one contender for the Intercontinental yeah. title. Mr. Perfect's like, I am perfect. You're not taking it. But behind the scenes, Perfect had a really bad back, which makes this match even fucking better. Because he was taking, he was bumping all yes, over the was. place. The, the Because they were boys. They were real friends. And the fact that Perfect didn't have to be so generous with Brett. He didn't have to feed him so much with the bumping all over the place. Which, actually, I didn't bring up this point. I'm going to bring it back to CM Punk and Lesnar. Props to Lesnar for being so generous with Punk. He made him look fucking good. He did. But anyhow, uh, this match to me is hard-hitting. It's technical, but not too much. It has a little bit of everything. It gets a little brawly at certain points, but not too much. But more importantly, this is talking about a coming out party. This is Brett's moment. Yep. And an audience that, for some reason, New York loves Bret Hart. They always have. They always have. Because they're good. It, it's New York knows wrestling. They do. It just it has a smart wrestling. I mean, for forever, Madison Square Garden was the home of the of the WWF. Hundred percent. And um, the New you York know, territory. They, they, that territory, you know, like we talk about how Chicago, Chicago knows, Chicago, you know when there's an event going on in Chicago, you know it's going to be good because Chicago wrestling fans are smart. Um, they, they, they try to have limited, to- limited tolerance for bullshit. Uh, New York's the same way. They, they just know. And the wrestlers know they know. Isn't, isn't that the first, uh, the show from Highlander? Was in yeah. New York. Yeah, yeah, it was a wrestling. Yeah, yeah it was a wrestling yeah. show at MSG. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if I've ever watched a single match more than this one. I've watched this match. It has to be. It's easily double digits. With like well into the double digits, because I would watch this match and I would just study it because it like there was like a period when I was really young that I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a wrestling commentator. That's what I wanted to do when I was really young. I was like, I can do this. And I would I would watch wrestling matches and I would just study why they were doing what they were doing because I felt like to be a play-by-play, to screw the color commentator, which have, they have their place, but to be a play-by-play man, to call out the moves, why they're doing it, how they're doing it, like the body parts, I thought that was so cool. Uh, but this match, man, like... <sighs> Mr. Perfect, yet another guy who should have been heavyweight champion at least one good time. One good time. Never got that shot that I know of. I don't think he's ever... I'm sure he had a heavyweight title shot, but I have no recollection of a single one, yeah, which is wild if you think about yeah. it. Um, interestingly enough, him and Scott Hall uh, were tag team partners, tag team champions in AWA together uh, way back in the day. Oh, wow. Uh, fun fact. Um, it's all connected. Um, but this... 
Bret Hart's the first guy to kick out of the perfect plex, again, that's respect that Kurt Henning has for him to do something like that. There was no cooler move in 1991 than the perfect plex. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big deal. You know, talking how you mentioned Jones about how, you know, that Mr. Perfect, bad back, respect he had for Brett, didn't have to take the bumps he did. You could also see they trusted Brett. Like, I don't think, I don't think you see this match if it's somebody other than Brett Hart doing it because you, Brett is so crisp. He's so just technically sound. You know, when you kind of see how that, when the match starts, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, headlocks and, and, and holds and things like that. You know, Brett's quick, you know, it's quicker than perfect. Yep. He's, he's, you know, getting thrown out and he comes right back to it, brings him right back down. And you could tell that there's there's just an element of trust there where he knows whatever we're gonna do, I know you're not gonna put me at risk to get anything else fucked up. So I'm gonna give you a lot more in this. I agree. I um so Bret Hart and I, I mean it was we don't talk about Bret enough. It like you you made a very valid point. We don't. Yeah. Uh, so this match, like it almost makes you feel like it's real. Like it's just it's just hard hitting enough. It's so physical. Yeah. There's no BS. There's no flippity floppities. It's I mean there's some questionable perfect bumps that he likes to flourish a little bit, but it makes it work. You know we got two guys about the same size, uh, about the same age, but one is ahead of the other one. Bret Hart, you know, in my opinion, is he is the greatest of all time. Uh, there's that, that little meme that Bret Bret was right. Uh, and uh, to me, like this match, like Brett was right. Like he was, he was the right fit for this. He was the intercontinental champ, tag team champion two times. This is his first intercontinental run. Uh, more importantly, uh, how mean was that sharpshooter transition? How mean was that? Cause that was so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd ever seen one at the, up until that point. Again, I didn't see this until like 94 ish. I want to say it was 94. It might've been 95, but I feel confident it was 94. So different times, right? Yeah. We couldn't just rewatch Matches. No, no, uh, it re- really couldn't. But like, you know, I remember sitting down trying to show my dad this match. Like, you have to see this match, Dad. This match, this is real. I'm telling you, look how look how hard they're hitting each other. You know, he's like, sure, sure, whatever. But like, <laughs> but like, that's how much they these guys made you believe what they what you were watching. Because the beauty of wrestling isn't you know, like you said, you know how the sausage is made. You know it's predetermined. You know it's fake on a certain level. But Every so often you go, no, but that was that was real though. That that he really stiffed him on that one. Though. Yeah, he got but him good on that one. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of wrestling to me, right? To go, no, but I mean, he really are they mad at each other for real though? Like, because I feel like he took him, he took some liberties on him that time. That's yeah. the beauty of wrestling. Yeah. And this is a match where like you could almost wonder like, are they kind of jacked at each other a little bit? Because they're hitting each other pretty fucking hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What I loved about this match, and I didn't know any of the build up leading up to it. I just it was just another match right. but they sort of positioned it as perfection versus excellence right mm-hmm. so, so good they're both even though they're mid-card guys at this point in their careers they're still like at the top of the mid-card yeah oh yeah and there was such back and forth and there were certain spots in the match where like it felt personal like yes and it it felt real like you're saying like you could tell the anger and the frustration like as they were wrestling and there were counters and everything else. And you could see them getting angry and you're like, 
oh yeah this like this is 100 percent. and when you're like Like, nine years old you're like oh this is this is really happening man like they're really jacked at each other i could that the other stuff was fake but this this right here this could be really happening in front of our very eyes it's not (laughs) yeah perfect so mad he's throwing his one shoulder off like he's so mad yeah like the the spot one of my favorite spots in wrestling period uh and it's only a thing that brett and, and perfect really do you don't see anybody else do it uh is Br- perfect throws brett by the hair just throws him fucking across the ring yeah right he he ragdolls him a few oh, times he's a grown man he oh, just yeah. threw <laughs> yeah. he threw a grown man so it's like deja vu yeah he's like 17 kids he threw a grown-ass man <laughs> so as as some, this is the first time i've ever saw this match is it it is ever yeah. God, first I'm time like, i ever saw I'm it. excited for Dang. it yeah so this is the first time i ever saw it what'd you think of it it's fantastic um there is one thing, so I said I watched it twice. First time I watched it, I had to make a note. Because again, early on, just trying to figure out what it is. A lot of hair pulling in this match. Oh, yes. There's a lot a of hair lot pulling. A lot of that. Which again, you can't fake hair pulling. You know? They snatch, they snatch oh, each other yeah. up. There's, 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 you know, there's, there are things in life that you can't fake. If you spit on somebody, can't fake that. <laughs> no. Right? It's to me, true. That's pure ignorance, Right. I always say, if somebody ever spits on you, you have full permission to punch that person in the face as hard as you want. Doesn't matter who it is. You have full permission to do it. Um, hair pulling, again, you can't fake. But I also noticed, and uh, the, the comment that I made here was that, uh, you know, I haven't seen this much hair pulling since Lord of the G-Strings. <laughs> so, and I, and I and it's like, you know, it's a little funny comment. I'll maybe go ahead and t- toss it in the podcast or anything. And then, you know, just a few minutes later, Hart's ripping off uh, Perfect's uh, tights a little bit, ripping it down and everything. So, well, fuck, they're tripping. This is Lord of the G-Strings. <laughs> so, um, that's my own little little, little thing. But it was, it was so good. And like I said, the, the 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 crispness of the movements, the elements where, you know, like you said, when when he's rag... When, when, when Brett's ragdolling perfect and throw him around and everything, the rolling, the hitting, the... the it doesn't look clean. Nope. But because of that, you know that's two professionals at the top of their game because they're making you believe. As you said, nine-year-old Herb is looking at this like, no, this is real. Because if you threw a guy in wrestling, he's going to lay flat and everything's going to be all right. If you did it to a real person, they're going to roll a little bit. They're going to hit awkwardly, Yep. right? And that's what you're getting in this match. You know, It's beautiful in, in elements of its ugliness. I like that. Yeah. I like uh, the crowd was ready for it. Obviously, pro Bret Hart. They're almost always pro Bret Hart. Yeah, it, it was pretty wild because, like, if you didn't know where this pay-per-view took place and you're watching it and you hear and feel the crowd, like, you think this is a Canadian crowd, like, no doubt. And Stu Hart is there in the audience. And, you know, obviously after the sharpshooter and Bret gets the win, he goes and hugs his parents. Chill, Clay, hold on. Dude. And it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you? I know. Sweet Jesus. Oh, God. Tell me you watched that oh, whole please. thing. What's that? Oh, oh come on. Yo, I got oh. lightheaded. How just, hard I laughed. Just, you want to reenact it, Jones? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who do you want to be? Um, I'll uh, I'll be the um, who I I didn't get the name of the of the commentator. Lord Alfred Hayes. Yeah, I'll be I'll be Hayes. Okay, yeah. wait, hold on, hold on, sweet Jesus, yo, hold on, I gotta compose myself. So I'm assuming you watched the end of the match and then you stopped it. Correct. You didn't okay. watch Brett go up 
to, to Stu and get the hug. Go you? into the audience yeah. to go hug his parents. So, yeah. so while this is happening, I'm going to set the stage. The crowd's popped. They're, everybody's going oh, yeah, nuts. The crowd is hot. Going nuts. They were ready for Brett to finally be a single star. It's just it's so cool. Like, look, man, Bret Hart was right. Anyhow, so you got Lord Alfred Hayes, who's, you know, he's been around. And you got Stu and Helen up Lord, there. Because he's a lord. Well, you know. Yeah. And Lord Alfred Hayes is like, oh, you know, Bre- you know, Stu and, and Helen, they're excited for their son, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to get a word from Stu. He's trying to he's trying to get Stu's attention, yeah. right? And Stu's a, he's old as shit at this point, right? He's already old. Still fucking. Listen, listen and everything that I'm going to say. This is awkward as Bret Hart's this, sister interview. Okay. No, better. Better. Oh, it's so this much is better. All, I have yeah. no respect for Stu Hart and what he's contributed to the wrestling world. So... I'm saying this because the shit's fucking funny. So, Alfred's trying to get his attention, right? And Stu's, like, clapping, you know, blah, blah, blah. Helen's, they were just excited, you know, and then Brett rolls up. Blissfully unaware of what's actually going on because he's watching his son in the match and everything. He's not not paying attention to the ring guy and the camera crew that's just right fucking on top of him. (laughs) Now, Stu Hart, I don't know if you've ever heard Stu talk. Everybody has a Stu Hart impersonation. And then I get that little motherfucker. Stu Hart has a very specific voice. Yeah. So, (laughs) Brett comes up. They hug him. Lord Alfred Hayes is still trying to get Stu's fucking attention. Really trying to get his attention. As you were, Dave. Ladies and gentlemen, we just want to get a brief word here with Stu Hart. Stu, your son. Wait. Oh, just we're trying to get a we're trying to get a word here with Stu Hart. Uh, what, what, Brett's Brett's coming up here. He's hugging his family. Brett, Stu, Stu, can we get a word? Stu, your son just won the Intercontinental Championship. How do you feel about all this? <laughs> okay, and that's it for Stu Hart. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, he swear, he goes and, and, and he just cuts the fuck off, cuts him right off, and Stu. <laughs> Stu's still talking. He's still talking. He's he's got a full thought about this, and he's ready to share it with the world. And and, and just just Lord Alfred Hayes is just keeping right back to him. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the immortal words from the great Stuart. And Stu yeah. is still like, should I try to tap him on his shoulder? Like what? I'm not fucking done yet. And Alfred, Alfred's like, he's just choked up with words. He's like, don't want to fucking just cut him off. <laughs> He said two syllables. That sounds great. <laughs> he said, hey, 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 hey. Two, I don't know what he said. Two syllables came out of his mouth, and then he quickly pulled the <laughs> microphone away and went right back into it. Oh it was the buildup because he spent like two minutes of camera time <laughs> trying to get trying to Stu's get attention. And then literally, it's like, can I have a word? One word. And there you have it. Dude, it wasn't even a word. No, it wasn't. It was a noise. Just it a was grunt. a grunt. He said, hit yeah. the head. <laughs> <laughs> just pulled it away. Uh, oh, you guys should say it's too hot. He's just choked up with words. It's so emotional. Like it's still just. <laughs> it's just still still talking. That's oh my god, still talking. Listen, I um, I like, saw that and I was in fucking tears. Oh my god, I was like, sweet Jesus, we gotta talk about this. Oh. <laughs> Oh my uh, god! It was, it and was, I wrote literally at the last thing I wrote. Lord Alfred Hayes did Stu dirty on the center. <laughs> he did him real dirty. <laughs> Oh, I needed that uh, laugh. Uh, Jesus Christ! Uh, you gotta go. Yeah, back it's it's worth that. going it's, back and just watching. Just watch the, the last three minutes of the match and let oh just let God. the build up go right into it, because like what about ten minutes into the match? Because this was again um, longest match of the of the night for that pay per view. It, really? it was it was uh, about eighteen, <coughs> close to nineteen minutes. Uh, again, longest match of the night, and about ten minutes in, they introduce the Hart family element. You know, we they're they're talking, 
That like Stu and Brett's mom, that Stu's there and Brett's mom's there and yeah. everything. And then they finally start showing them in the audience. They're really building up to this. Yeah. So you're like, this is going to be great. They're fully invested in that angle. You, you, and then yeah. they completely well, fuck no it up. No payoff. You, you, you feel like this whole thing is like, like Stu's, like they went to Stu or like Stu, when we're going to come up to you, we're going to talk about this. Here's what you want to say. Or, you know, let us know what you want to say. We'll approve it. You know, you feel like this whole thing stage and then it happens and it's like a poorly edited Kung Fu movie, man. <laughs> like, and there you have it. And like, like Hayes turns away from <laughs> Stu to the camera and, and Stu's like, <laughs> he's still talking. He's still talking. <laughs> he's full on. His thought is coming out. Oh. Uh. He's dropping some knowledge, and Lord Alfred Hayes is like, all right, F this. We took too long. Oh. Um, but uh, to, to surmise my feelings, not uh, uh, Stu Hart interview uh, withstanding, <clears throat> the best part, and I know we've talked about this, but I and I just I want to reiterate it again. The best part about Bret Hart matches, it does not matter whether it was WrestleMania 2 in 1986 or something, or it doesn't matter if it's WrestleMania 12 or WrestleMania 13, doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter if it's Survivor Series or King of the Ring or what the fuck ever. All of his matches still hold up today. All of them. Facts. Yep. All of them. I could go back and watch some shitty ass old wrestling that's like, I mean, it's not bad, but it's nostalgia that's holding me. Like, I feel like the rose-colored glasses of some of the matches I've watched, I'll yeah. go randomly back and watch something from Rumble 91. I'm like, well, this match kind of sucks, actually. But I don't know how I thought it was so good before. You know, Brett's matches, they just hold. Like, People, he is he he himself, and guys like him and Shawn Michaels, really created an entire generation of wrestlers who emulate what they do still to this day. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, that is that is one of my favorite matches of all time. Great Ooh, fucking that. choice. Little, uh, little great choice. Laugh. Great choice. Thank you, sir. Uh, I'm glad uh, you got a chance to watch it for the first time, Mac. Yeah. I'm really happy that you got a chance to see that. Yeah, I really, uh, I really enjoyed it. it, was, yeah. it was, uh, I've seen that match, match a number of times, but now I'm gonna go back and watch. Oh, you got yeah. Stu Hart. I swear to God, it's the funniest thing you'll ever see. Robbed. Honestly, time. he was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my God, it was great. Yeah. So uh, coming got, back to me, we got one more match here. We got gentlemen. one more. Yeah. Just it, one it happens to be <laughs> just just one, one of the greats ever. Uh, it's all so, about Rushmore. Mm, oh, yeah. yeah, so going back to 1987, way, way, way back when. Taking you back a little bit yeah. here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, WrestleMania 3. WrestleMania 3. Uh, most people think WrestleMania 3. They think Hogan versus Andre the Giant, right? Pretty big deal. Uh, but there are two mid-card guys in that show who are like, man, Hogan versus Andre, that's a pretty big deal. Like, How do you think that we can outshow those guys because that's a spectacle, right? Right. So how do we how do we cement ourselves in legacy of the World Wrestling Federation and put on a match that people are going to remember for decades to come? And they did just that. So we are talking about the one and only Macho Man Randy Savage versus the one and only Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, WrestleMania three. Uh, for the Intercontinental title. Yet again. Wait. Yeah. <clears throat> what? Intercontinental, man. Four out of the six matches what? we have talked about today. What? Have been Intercontinental? The, uh... Or yeah. as the Macho Madness would say, 
Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion. Intercontinental Ooh, Heavyweight yeah. Champion. I love that he threw the heavyweight. Oh, I love yes. it. And I... More people should. Yeah. It, I mean, it might as well be. Yeah. It's what it said on the fucking belt. Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion. Yeah. So there was a little bit of build-up to this match uh, in 19, November of 1986 uh, in a show. Uh, Savage was defending the Intercontinental Championship against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Uh, and this, at this point in wrestling, uh, Macho Man only cared about two things. One was his belt. Two was Miss Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he defended the title against Steamboat. Uh, one via countout, I believe. And uh, decided to savagely, no pun intended, attack Ricky the Dragon Steamboat after the match. Uh, took a ring bell to his throat. No, no, no. Not to his throat, Jeff. Not to his throat, to his larynx. I Which heard is in his throat more yes. larynx talk in this match, <laughs> any other match ever before yeah. or since. And I often wondered as I was watching the promos and all this, how many people that watched wrestling were like, oh, "Fuck's a larynx?" Because you didn't have a cell phone. <laughs> You're, like, You're not oh, Googling yeah. this in shit. Yeah. You know, you got to go grab out my encyclopedia. You got to see if you got your encyclopedia Britannica in, in the dining room. Yeah. Uh, so Steamboat was out on uh, made-for-TV injury uh, for a few months. In those in those few months, Savage was feuding with George the Animal Steel uh, in the interim, and it was all building up to Steamboat's return at WrestleMania. So uh, this match, not super long. It was only just over 14 minutes. Longest match of the night. Was it really? It was. No shit. Believe it or not. Uh, but it was a game changer in terms of wrestling. Yeah. Uh, if you look at where those two were in their careers, they're smaller guys. Uh, and uh, most of the WrestleMania matches were like sort of these grandiose spectacles, like Hogan versus Andre. Like you're watching it because it's like these two giants, these two pillars of wrestling, wrestling each other. Uh, but for Macho Man and Steamboat, it was... These two smaller technical guys who wanted to showcase wrestling for the sake of wrestling. So they basically put on a 14-minute masterclass in wrestling. Uh, one thing that's sort of unique about this particular match is a lot of the matches up to that point, there were sort of like milestones that the guys would shoot for within the match. So. You know, at this point, we need to be here. At this point, I need to do this move. At this point, you need to do this. And at that point, that's the finish. Uh, Savage was like, no, 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 no. I want to make sure that every single move in this match is 100% choreographed. Like, from A to Z. Like, we both need to know exactly what needs to happen at every single point in this match. So, the way that Steamboat tells it, I love how Steamboat tells it. Is that they had a yellow notebook, like a legal notebook with lines on it. And they basically just wrote out the numbers, like one through a hundred. And like Savage would pass them in the hall and be like, what's move number 45? And he's like, oh, well, 45 is this. And then Savage would be like, well, 46 is this and 47 is this. So what's 48? And be like, oh, 48 and 49 are this. And they go back and forth. And it was so meticulous in terms of the overall planning and then they get in the ring and they fucking execute it flawlessly it's amazing isn't it flawlessly from start to finish 
The crowd was 100% in. They had 21 false finishes. Which is crazy to think. That's uh, in, in 1980. Yeah. All pre-planned. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> that's crazy. Is he, is, is he winning? Is he winning? Is he winning? And like, the crowd kept flip-flopping like throughout the thing. And they wanted to make sure they had a mat. They wanted to basically say, we had a match that outshined what was to come, which was Hogan versus Andre. And they did it flawlessly. And if you look at the back and forth, the, the technical skill set and the aptitude that they had in the ring to make it happen, not just from like, hey, we're memorizing what, what's happening, but to actually execute that and to, to bring to light a sort of the significance of the intercontinental title uh because up until that point it was just another title but it wasn't that big of a deal but b how do you elevate guys who are like mid-sized guys like it really set the standard for bret hart and Shawn michaels and chris jericho and all these other guys that would come in the subsequent years to be like okay the guys who wrestle like this and look like this can really bring relevancy to wrestling and it's not just this hey this grandiose spectacle of like i'm watching that match because that match is you know sort of this marquee gimmick match but it's like these guys are really fucking good wrestlers uh and it and it's inspired guy it inspired young guys who are doing it today uh and for me this match is it's super in, interesting to watch because they do it so well. Um, and especially if you look at the the whole card for WrestleMania, like WrestleMania 3, there's not many great matches. There's a lot of just <laughs> there's a, big a, matches. There's yeah. matches, yes. Uh, but there's n- none that you remember outside of this one and Hogan versus the Giant. Listen, Andre the Giant, obviously. Everybody remembers the Irresistible Force meeting the Immovable Object. Yeah. That is, I don't know if uh, there is a more like memorable line outside of, by God, is my witness is broken in half or something like that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, I will always re- appreciate Gorilla Monster for giving us that. Because that was perfect. You know, Hogan walking up to Andre. Yeah. You know, getting fired up and shaking his fist. Yeah, you know, just the imagery of that's that. That's just perfect. I mean, in that is WrestleMania. In and of itself. Ultimately, yes. that is WrestleMania. Yeah. But, but. Uh, you want to talk about <clears throat> influential, man. Uh, and, and props to you, Jeff, for picking your two matches are two of the most influential matches ever. Ever. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, obviously, I, w- you know, being five years old, did not watch this match. I didn't watch this match for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I didn't watch I this didn't match I didn't come across this kid. shit until I got my, my yeah. WrestleMania 3 on VHS, which wasn't until, like, 1997. I'd never seen the match before. I've heard. Which you sold to your Spanish teacher. I no, no, no. I saw the box set. <laughs> okay. I saw the box set. I'm never getting rid of that. It's I. You know, the beauty of having the box set is that I have all the original audio. That's awesome. I I don't I don't the bastardized network version of any of that. So at WrestleMania one, when Hogan comes out with Mr. T, I have the Tiger plays. That sh- you can't find that anywhere. Yeah. yeah, but I got that. There's shit. a lot of licensing issues. Yeah, in and it's, it's it's pretty awesome with Iron <laughs> yeah, Tiger yeah, plays. Yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> so with this match, like I don't know, you know, if there's anything more influential in terms of wrestling than this match, because at the time it came out, 1987, we're talking like most of the bigger stars that we 
watched as they they're a few old years older than us they're like you know 10 years old nine years old they're yeah. old enough to really appreciate this i can't tell you how many uh interviews i've read uh autobiographies i've read from various big time wrestlers hall of fame first ballot inductees who said me and my brother or me and my best friend we would emulate this one match yeah all the time when we were growing yeah, up and steamboat said even in interviews today kids who are 10 and younger still come up and ask him about this match well if you think about it how relatable can anybody be with andre the giant there's no relate there's no relatability yeah there's not a lot of guys who are like you know what that guy looks just like me you know exactly (laughs) i think i have a shot at that you know you 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 fantasize about andre the giant being the giant and everything but realistically nobody can ever be the giant there will never be another andre the giant even with other big men right Right. um same thing with hogan you know um again everything we want to say about hogan is entirely true but the man's place on the mantle in terms of what he did for wrestling and the heights he reached and and everything it's undisputable right um but and again very few people could ever be that. Right. And we've had a chance to watch that in our in our lives, which is pretty amazing. But you know what you can be? You can be the 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 middle sized guy. You can be the undersized guy. It's you far can, more relatable. Yeah. You can use your intelligence like they did to craft a match. You know, you mentioned it it's one of my I love wrestling stories. One of the things I love about wrestling is when, you know, they, they peel the curtain back and you can kind of just see how they came up with these things. And I love the story that you mentioned, Jeff, about how they sat down with a, with a notepad and, and staged everything. Because when you hear about the next match, when you watch the Andre the Giant documentary and everything, and they talk about Hogan and, and his experience, he's like, I wanted to sit down with Andre and talk about everything. And Andre kept pushing it off and pushing it off and pushing it off. And the thing is, too, about this particular match is that Vince and Pat Patterson had zero influence. Yeah. Like Macho Man was driving, steering the ship the yeah. whole way. That's Even though they're like, hey, this is what we would like. Macho Man's like, no, this is what it's going to be. Yeah. And they're like, okay, you do you. <laughs> and they, <laughs> let him, they let him do mm-hmm. it. Uh, and I mean, the payoff is obviously there. Yeah. yeah. And and just to be able to see how, because when you take away WrestleMania 3, those are the two things you take away. Um, how different they were and how they came about. It's 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 amazing, um, and um, you know they both worked obviously, but you know the thing people always talk about like that's that's masterclass one hundred and one like that's the first thing you watch like this is how it's done kids you know, everything that you see that comes after is probably built on this, um, and it's it's it is I. I would have probably picked this, Jeff. You got yours. You got yours in before I had an opportunity to. But this has always been You're one welcome. of my favorite matches of all time to to kind of watch because I've always been a big uh, Steamboat fan. You know, I and can you say a guy is maybe um, underappreciated in the history of wrestling who's Ricky Steamboat? Probably not. But Ooh. you can also probably say a little bit that maybe he is. He does not get the flowers quite the yeah. way he should. Not quite the way he should. Now, WWE's done some things over the years to make sure he's had his spotlight later on. And, you know, I remember when he got inducted, he did some matches. The crowd was going crazy because he's still, it's still Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, like, if you look at this particular match and these two guys, uh, when you look back at what the WWF looked like at that time. 
there were a lot of big slow guys, but there weren't a lot of small fast guys. So it it felt different than a lot of those bigger matches for that reason alone. Um, and to re- really be able to showco- showcase and, and bring to light some of the attention on, you know, what the value of that could bring long-term, I, I think it's had a really long ass, long lasting impact on wrestling as a whole across, you know, all wrestling organizations, not just WWF. You know, it's, it's funny how even to this day, we still have that conversation that, you know, with, with Vince, it's still, you know, preferable that it's a big guy who has the title, you know, the, yeah. the, the push for Brock, the push for, you know, I mean, Roman's a bigger guy, but I, I still think Roman's kind of more of a hybrid, you know, but having that machine, the mauler, the the thing that you look at him walking down the street, the guy that you don't want to mess with. But we've also, a lot of us that are big wrestling fans fight for the Daniel Bryan, for the CM Punk, for oh, yeah. Shawn Michaels and Brett. Yeah. The, 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 you root the, for the little guy. The quote-unquote smart guy yeah. that you can see visually will wrestle that, will out-wrestle that other guy in a phone book. Although I won't say Brock Lesnar because... You know, even I put in that note in that match was um, I think we don't give Lesnar enough credit as his ability as an athlete and as a wrestler because of how often he's portrayed as a mauler. Right. But you can see in a match with CM Punk how much of a wrestler he is. Yeah, I mean, that's his, yeah. his background was like traditional right. college wrestling, but like Olympic you, wrestling. Yeah, but you can get that he could wrestle any, any type of wrestler and make a match out of it. Right. right? Sure. But a lot of these guys couldn't. Um, and but this match gave us, you know, regular guys a chance. Like I could, I can do that. I could do that. Except we couldn't. No. But <laughs> so no. I kind of. There's wanna, always hope, though. I want to. I want to do a little shout out to the machine that is the WWF uh, in 1987, because um, I know, like we as fans, put this match on a pedestal because it deserves to be. Uh, WrestleMania one and two fine shows. You know, closed circuit. Uh, pay-per-views towards, you know, I think three was on pay-per-view, actually, technically. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the funny thing about Ricky Steamboat is that Ricky Steamboat was doing this before. Oh, yeah. Uh, he That's had, just what he did. Yeah. The, he has legendary, and I'm not even exaggerating, but legendary matches with Ric Flair in, like, 1984. Uh, they, these guys were consistently putting on 60-minute matches mm-hmm. like it was their job because it yeah. was their job. And it was normal. You know, false finishes, major back-and-forths, fast pace. back when Flair was Flair. Yeah. He was yeah. Rick. And the Flair. crowds ate that up. Yeah. yeah. But the difference was, we're talking Jim Crockett promotions, talking JCP, where they did not, they, they were not the machine that the WWF was becoming. So we you have to appreciate that because it was at WrestleMania three. It's so famous. You know what I mean? Right. Not yep. because, oh, you know, it was like such a one, it, was, it wasn't it was like such a special thing, but it was special on WWF television. But these guys... Yeah, it was, it was given the spotlight. Yeah. It's, it's just a little thing I was I like to point out because it, it, that is a big part of it. Ricky Steamboat, that's just how dude operated. Yep. Uh, and Randy Savage. And I will always give Randy Savage all the props in the world because he's one of the greatest that have ever done it. Because every... I think... It, I don't know where I wrote it, but at one point I wrote... Everything he does has meaning. All of it. Every single... All his selling, all his reactions to, to Steamboat selling... 
his movements, his finger movements, his body language, everything Savage does has a point to it. Yeah. To 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 put to push the story along because he is, according to him, the Lord and Master of the Ring. Yeah, and to that point, I mean, they could have had this match on Saturday Night Main Event, but would it have gotten the same sort of perception and lens if it wasn't on the grandiose stage that it was being WrestleMania? Yeah, good question. Yeah. And you mentioned it, Jones, you know, the, the, the way the match moved. This match had speed. Oh, it was so fast paced. Um, it's yeah. real fast. There's a great pace to this match. Again, you don't you didn't see a lot of that nope. at this point. Two guys moving like that, doing what they were doing with precision. Um I well, think... you weren't seeing that in the main event. No. The only the only other place you were seeing that consistently was the tag team division. Ironically with the Hart Foundation and the British Bulldogs and the the the, the, the killer bees, those yeah. teams. They, they were the ones who were typically closing out the show on the house show loops because you want to send the, the fans home fired up and happy. Yeah. Usually the Hogan would go on like midway through, but you if you want to you wanted to end the show with like really good wrestling. Yeah. High with the Heart Foundation stuff. on yeah. last. Yeah. And that, that, if you think about it, it's pretty wild. You know what's weird? So I looked at the card of this pay-per-view when I was doing my research, and I had kind of forgotten the Heart Foundation had a match in this it was a six man right it's it's a weird wrestling for me is always very weird because i i don't have timing for me for wrestling was always weird like i always think that certain wrestlers were way before <laughs> around a different time <laughs> when they way, were actually were, way before like, like a different off. time like decade like decades <laughs> off and like you know like i don't think of wrestlemania 3 as being 1987 i think ago. of wrestlemania 3 as being like it might as well be like 1960 to me yeah. for whatever reason right you know, you, you forget that these guys were there. Like, yeah. I forget that Brett was in the WWE for, like, 15 years before, you know, everything happened. So, it, yeah, it, it's it's always kind of weird to me when I kind of go back and look at that. Like, oh, yeah, these guys were around, too. They were you kind know? of a yeah. thing. They were doing their thing. They were so. tag champs, too. Yep. Yes, they were. They were wearing blue that show, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's so damn weird. <laughs> and I always think it's weird when the Hart Foundation wears blue. Um, but... Excellent choice. Listen, it's one of the greatest matches of all time, and it, it's it, it's a sure shot too. Because like, I mean, it, you find you can't you'd be hard pressed to find a single fan who goes. I mean, it's okay. I don't really like they that match. Yeah. It's, show, it's one of the yeah. best matches of all time. <laughs> yeah. You shut your mouth. You know you're lying yeah. to your teeth. Like you mentioned it earlier. Like if you if someone who doesn't watch wrestling and you're trying to tell them like, hey, these are the matches you should watch. Like I always recommend this one, and I always recommend the Iron Man match between Michaels and Bret Hart. It's a good call. Like those are my two go tos. Funny every that time. none of us had that. We didn't. We didn't decide to to list that. I mean, I mean, that is again, like you said, that is such a iconic match. Yeah, not one of my favorites though. Yeah, it's I I like it a lot, but it's definitely not one of my favorites. Same. It's in the. I'd say it's like top twenty. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like to narrow it down to two is hard. Oh yeah. And I mean, we talked about six great matches over the last couple of hours, but. There are dozens of other great matches that we didn't have a chance oh, to talk so about. There's so many. Uh, and even with Noah not here, like there's another whole layer of X number of matches yes. that that you know we all know and love and and treat very dearly in terms of putting them on our Mount Rushmore of wrestling matches. Well, so it's funny you said that. So I was I was talking to Noah when I was kind of prepping for this, and I was I was asking him some questions and everything, and. Um, if Noah was here, I assure you, it, we probably would have had at least one New Japan match 
that would have been in here. I do want to point out that there's not a single WCW or ECW match. No, I know. Not yeah. a single yeah. one. Yeah. Certainly not AEW. No AEW. No. Um, no, there's so again, ladies and gentlemen, we really did kind of pick up a I mean, you might even say favorite WWF WWE matches of all time on, on this one, if you will, but if you will. If you will. Um part, part one. Part if one. you will. Yeah. But um, you know, there's so many great wrestling promotions and, and great matches that we we didn't even bring up in this. So just, just scratching the surface. Just scratching the surface, everybody. You know there's gonna be more to come on that here. Uh, on future episodes of the podcast. So, gentlemen, final thoughts? Uh, my final thought is excellent list all around. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, it was nice to kind of reminisce. And it was really, I know it's weird, but it's, it's really, I'm really glad that you, you watched that Brett Perfect match for the first time. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's just, it's one of those matches and like, if you're if you're a fan of Brett Hart, if even if you're just a fan of Brett Hart in general, this is a match you should probably watch at least yeah. one good time because it's just a hell of a hell of a performance. Um, but no, I, I enjoyed myself and I'm glad we, we're going to do it again. Uh, I still kind of want to book the territory at some point with you guys and see what, what kind of shenanigans we can come up with. But that's a conversation for another time. Yeah, my final thoughts is, you know, these are a lot of great matches and there's a lot of other great matches. Uh, and these are just our opinions, right? But one of the great things about this is you know, at least before we we record a show like this, we we share our thoughts with the rest of the guys, and we get to go back and revisit some of these matches, and some we're experiencing for the first time, some we're rewatching for the fifteenth time. Uh, but these are all great great matches. We would highly recommend you guys to go out and check them out and share with us, you know, some of your favorite matches. So that we can check those out and share our opinions. But yes. uh, these types of shows for us are, are really fun to do. Yeah. yeah, They're typically not the most popular. Uh, <laughs> they do not get as many downloads and listens, but that's fine. Fuck you, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. it is what it is. We were still going to do it anyhow for yeah. like the three of you who listen to the wrestling episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, hey Jeff. Hey Dave. Hey Jeff. Yeah. Hey Jeff. What's up? Um, what do we got coming up next? That's a great question. Is it? Nobody is knows. It? I thought we already is it? knew. Don't we have it? Well, I thought we discussed it. I thought we discussed Did, it. Is it something you have to say three times? Might be something you have to say three times. Maybe. Next week on Nothing Good, we are talking about a film you may have heard about that stars Michael Keaton. That is not Batman, but we are going to talk about the Johnny one, Dangerously. And, one and Great only movie. Mr. Mom. Gung Ho. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. He said it three times. I was going to say Dream Team. Oh, wrong, shit. Wrong movie. <laughs> Birdman. <laughs> Multiplicity. Good movie also. The Flash. You know, Michael Keaton has a lot of good movies. <laughs> he's, God, he's in a lot of shit. A, a yeah. goddamn Pittsburgh treasure, man. Yeah. Yeah, so next week we are talking about the one and only Beetlejuice as our next film review. It'll be an so interesting we're experience. We're excited to oh, talk man. about that. And we're excited to talk about a lot of other things after that. And we're excited to have you guys on board yes. to listen along with us. So thank you again for tuning in this week and next week and all the weeks after that. Uh, we appreciate you. Nothing good.